Welcome to episode 249 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man over in Oakland, California. He goes by the name of Randy Michael Statt. Yeah, sir. What's up? Randy, how are you today? I'm doing all right. Doing... How's the weather in Oakland? Oh, it's pretty nice out. I went uh, on a good uh, 5K run this morning. 5K? Yeah, baby. Just over three miles. Just a little over, yeah. Where'd you go? Uh, by the lake and back, pretty much. What kind of running shoes you have? Uh, we've gone over this. New Balance. Oh, that's right. We have gone over how you are a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us is Russell John the Fisherman. Oh, dude. <laughs> Why have I never done that before? That's so good. I like that one. It works one. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Russell John the Fisherman. That is good. I don't know what to say to that. Oksana, I've got nothing else for your name. Other than Oksana Valerian of Anosachi. I'll work on some sort of musical cue next week. You don't have to. <laughs> I'll try. That challenge accepted. So, Randy, what are you training for, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, to not be depressed. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're running from your depression, huh? Well, exactly. because I don't know if you all keep up with our discourse with the Scary Thoughts podcast on uh, Instagram. But uh, I, I put down the gauntlet. I said, "Oh yeah, gonna I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna fight Chad." Or oh, dude, what? Randy v. Chad? Chad's a, he's been working out pretty hard. I think uh, Randy's got a lot of work. But if he's doing a 4K, yeah, you know, and I'm by fight going. I mean I'm just gonna run from him. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'm, I gotta stick with Randy on this one, man. Uh, again, uh, Mark I'm, and Chad, they both uh, do MMA. So he, I'm team Ray, ta- Randy's got a rage in him, bro. I think Randy got him scared, though, because he countered me online and said, how about we just have like a LARP fight and we get like styrofoam weapons? And I'm like, come on. Fuck no. But Randy, I think you got him running. So yeah, I got I'm team Randy. dude. All right, Chad, that's that's the uh, the gauntlet's been thrown. Uh, it's your move. All right. Joining us on the show this week is writer, director, producer. So he does it all. It's Matthew John Lawrence from the motion picture Uncle Peckerhead, which we've talked about a lot on the show. Why? Mainly because it's good. And Randy likes it. And it made his top five. I mean, we didn't get to it, but Matthew should have received his lookie in the mail. That is true. <laughs> it might have got lost. Who knows? Randy, what... what, what uh... Uncle Peckerhead came in at what in your top five? Do you remember? I think it was five on the show. He opened it up with it. It woke me up. That's right. I was like, oh, shit. Randy's got some movies on this That's list. Right. <laughs> well, he opens up with an American movie, first Dude. of all. And a horror film. And a horror film. And a comedy. And a comedy. And Pekka in the title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was great to have uh, Matthew on. Um, had a blast with him. And uh, good talk. So stay tuned for that. But before we get to all of the good stuff, we've got more good stuff. And that good stuff is brought to you by Oksana Valerianovan Osachi for possibly the last or next to last time. <laughs> Which I think I'm okay with. <laughs> Whoa. Oh my God. Hurtful. You gotta start running if you're feeling that way. It worked for Randy. I can't. I don't want to. So, Oksana, <laughs> what movies are coming out of this week? All right. Um,. The, we have a lot coming out on Friday the 11th. What well, is Pride Month? Boom. 
<laughs> Nailed it. Dude, you should have said it. Oh my God, I almost revealed the trick. I was going to say, coming out of the closet, That's a, we should have worked in a creepy clerk joke. There. Or R. Kelly. Oh, pee-pee. It happens later on. Yeah. It's a callback. Randy got that up. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, so the first thing coming out Friday the 11th is coming to limited theaters. It's called Sensor. It's good. Uh, yeah, th- I thought I almost rented this. Isn't this out? It's played it's festivals. Festivals. Limited theaters, Friday the 11th. It's going to be streaming the following Friday the 18th. Where did I see this? Did I see this somewhere? You heard me talk about it weeks ago, months ago. <laughs> <laughs> On this here program. <laughs> no, but I've seen this cover art is what I'm saying, you pretentious little prick. <laughs> Sundance, maybe? Probably pulled it up when he talked about it. That's a fair point. <laughs> He's been running 4K, dude. Don't fuck with him. Ready? I can't keep track of every single movie that you bring up. Cause you, that's all. That's you watch a lot of movies, man. Yeah. <laughs> Randy, I got my ear to the ground, baby. Randy, cut him some slack. He, he watches like baseball games and shit when we're podcasting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With my pink bandana. <laughs> Oksana, continue. Um. So, film censor Enid takes pride in her meticulous work guarding unsuspecting audiences from the deleterious effort of watching the gore-filled decapitations and eye gougings she pours over. Her sense of duty... This is a long description. So it's about- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, you bailing on sentences is... This is canon. So it's fine. How about the end is when Enid is assigned to review a disturbing film from the archive that echoes her hazy childhood memories, she begins to unravel how this eerie work might be tied to her past (laughs) Randy where did you watch this I don't know one of the many film festivals that I attended online last year (laughs) they all like feel like the same thing now so I'm not sure I feel like this came up when when Robbie was here last he probably also saw it yeah yeah I think he yeah because that's all these two freaks (laughs) he did yeah I I can't confirm but I can't remember the festival Yep. That was the episode, I think. You two are the nicest people I know in my life. But for some reason, when we do the intro intro, you both get mean. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know true. what to do. <laughs> okay, keep going, please. All right, so that's going to be out in limited theaters and then streaming the following Friday the 18th. <laughs> also out this Friday. The House Next Door, Meet the Blacks 2. Oh! This is a long time coming. Wow. <laughs> Meet the Blacks came out when? I It was Forever one of our ago. first episodes we did. It was like in the first 20. We recorded it with Terrell at Dan's house. I remember you're very like annoyed by that night. Because we started recording at 10 p.m. We watched off. the movie right before. Like we got off work, watched the movie, and then went over there to record. That's not true. Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is not true because we didn't start that record till 10 p.m. Oh, okay. Maybe. Well, maybe there's a yada, yada, yada in the middle there. 2016. <laughs> um, from, Beverly, from Beverly Hills to Chicago <laughs> to the Chicago Burbs. <laughs> Mayhem and hilarity seem to follow the blacks wherever they go. After surviving a night of terror in the West Coast, 
not-so-best-selling author Carl Black moves his family back to his childhood home in the Windy City where he hopes to find peace and quiet he needs to write his new book. Oksana, what is that a reference to? Where's the Windy City? I don't know, Chicago. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I should have a ding, ding, ding thing. Yeah, so that's going to be out in theaters um, Friday. Man, you must think we don't know anything to try and get somebody on the Windy Cindy. Oh, oh God. Windy the Windy Cindy. My point. <laughs> exactly. No, but I mean, Continue. Chicago. Russell, I gave you a map of the contentious <laughs> United States. You could name 10 states and that's it. Not true. I actually avoided your little weird test that you were walking around giving people because I knew I would fail in my performance. So at least I knew enough to abstain from that shit. Um, so, and, and I've gotten better. All right, I won't tell the story. I'll right. tell you off. Okay, <laughs> it's that hot, huh? No, it's just uh, I am obsessed with people not knowing about the country in which they live. It's kind of a. Bummer. I have spent. I have. I don't want to say too much information, but in my job now, I'm having to train. Oh no, people, and um, I'm having to explain how time zones work. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Cool. It's unbelievable, and especially because you're explaining to these Arizonans who do not uh, adhere to the uh, daylight savings time. Oh, so now Arizona is technically on Pacific time, even though they're mountain, but they're on the same time zone as us in the Pacific. What a unique problem! It's so weird. Honestly, I wish we ignored that shit too, though, and we could get on there with them, just get rid of the daylight thing. That's that's my thing. Just everyone be on the same page. That's all I'm saying. But, you know, when you look into it, the time zone shit, it's all it's the Wild West out there. There's an island again. I'm getting cracked article territory that changed their time zone for like zoning codes and shit. Yeah, it's like a, a scam. Anyway, anything else? Yeah. So um, an unknown and compelling force will be out on VOD Tuesday the 15th. It's a documentary um, of the truth behind the truth of Russia's greatest unsolved mystery, the Dyatlov Pass incident, is uncovered in this compelling documentary. Of all the words that tripped you up, Dyatlov was what? not one of them. It's their blood, dude. I don't even know if I said it right. <laughs> okay, well then you powered through Thank it. Thank you, tissue maker. You learned. You know, of the whole arc of doing these intro screening things, I think we've come to a great conclusion. You, <laughs> you said the word, you didn't know if it was correct, and you just rolled on through it. Good job. We can now end the series. Although, I will tell you, an unknown compelling force, that looks like a fucking found footage movie. And when you mentioned it was a documentary, I I went, oh. I had the exact same reaction because we got a press release for this movie and I was like, oh. and then I looked at it and it's, it's just a documentary. I mean, I don't like documentaries in the snow. <laughs> we should probably check it out, though. Look at that tagline. Nine dead hikers. 60 years of secrets. And then there's, we're oh, oh, it's That's a glove. It's gloves. Such and, a tease ooh, of a poster. <laughs> it's fingerless though. Maybe so. we'll get ooh, Andrew Dice Clay. Ooh, <laughs> catch that. All right, good. All right. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct us at podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not in my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hours available on Facebook is the Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hours available on Instagram is the Overlook Theater. And the Overlook Hours available on Twitter is the Overlook Hour. And the Overlook Hours available on YouTube is the Overlook Theater. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Randy. 
uh, enjoy the interview and enjoy Uncle Peckerhead if you haven't seen it. And if you think it's a dumb title, which we talk about, uh, come find me in the streets. In its place was a severed head, and it bummed everyone at the party out to the point where they straight up died of bad vibes, and then they all went to hell where the demons and devils played zero bank. Oh, fuck. You I'm ruined sorry. the best two-sit that's story we've ever had. And it was, I take full, I'm sorry, creepy Clark. I was laughing. I'm not used to laughing here. I'm normally terrified. I'm shaking. This thing... You want, let's go take two. Let's okay, do it again. Here we go. The cool DJ reached down for her next record. In its place was a severed head, and it bummed everyone at the party out to the point where they straight up died of bad vibes, and then they all went to hell where the demons and the devils played zero bangers. There we go. I, I apologize again that um, I'm not... <laughs> my God. <laughs> I'm surprised I was able to stay in character this time as I cold read that sentence. Okay, okay. Creepy, bear with me. Oksana, can you um, chime in here? You are an English major. You graduated with honors, and uh, I'm so happy you slum it here with us. Is that grammatically correct, that second essay of a sentence? Um, it looks like it. It's just a run-on. All right. A ding, ding, ding. Yeah. We, we got a winner, man. I- Straight up died of bad vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know that was possible. I should be dead by now. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. Again. God. We again, we do not know where bench fry comes from, but now I think, oh, this is Californian yeah. right here. Creepy. What you gotta say who who submitted these because we really want to keep promoting them. It's been bench fry for four <laughs> months. <laughs> but hopefully somebody will break in and he'll they'll break the branch. Joe Oliver, where's he at? He lost interest. Speaking of losing interest, hit the door. All right. Oh, man. I really like that one. That was a good one. (laughs) We should keep him around. I mean, it's not scary, but I mean... I mean, hell. We're re- okay. There was. I, I mean, mean there is a severed head. You're correct. There's a severed head. There's there's zero bangers. You know, it's really. You're right. It's on me. I should close my eyes and really put myself in the spot of that cool DJ. And if I were to pull up a severed head, you're you're correct. It would be terrifying. Plus, I ma- I imagine. Yeah, like they're not playing the hits in hell. <laughs> it's hell. Also, last What's- week you thought he might be British. What if he means bangers, as in the food? Oh, they played zero sausages. Played zero banger. Oh, yeah, that doesn't work, Randy. <laughs> I like the attempt, though. It was, it was good. I, I mean, you know, I, I'll tell you this. I think that I am a fan of bangers and mash, so I don't think that that's a, a culinary uh, offering that is being served in hell. I'm all about bangers and mosh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, damn. <laughs> Bang your head against the bangers stage, dude. Bangers and mosh. Dude, that's some sort of, like, art collective that- okay you know i'm sorry for all the new people listening 
But we used to have a third chair. He was hardcore. He uh, was named Justin Coot. We still love him. Does he like bangers tonight? Now, he was a hardcore kid, much like Randy, our engineer. Straight edge, uh, very annoying and preachy about it, mm-hmm. just like Randy. And uh, he used Randy to- Randy co- wasn't preachy. I mean, that's the bit. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Randy's got Bible verses tattooed on his neck. That is- All right. Now, the thing is, because I like metal- and I'm not a little punk kid, like mad spray painting A's with a circle around him on walls. He used to come up to me and say that all the time. Bang your head against the stage. And it's, it's an Exodus lyric, but he didn't know that. Oh, my God. But it's good. Exodus. Bangers and mash against the stage. Oksana, you're killing me with all these bangers and mash pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starving right now. Look at this. Oksana, when you hijack the show with a visual bit, you got to realize you need to catch up on the YouTube content. I'm working on it. How far behind are we now? I think we just put up like Eugene. No, Mary Beth's episode just went up. All right. How how long ago was, did we talk to Mary Beth before of? The last one before of. I don't know. You tell me, Rusty. Oh, God. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was that was a, a bit we were going to do. I never launched it. But, you know, when she covered the show on her podcast, uh, Scarred for Life, she uh, introduced us all. I'm just going to, I have the clip. You want to hear it? Sure. I don't think we ever played it. Here we go. So this year was the third year for the unnamed footage festival. Wrong. Which takes place typically every year in San Francisco. It's run by these amazing people, Rusty, Oksana, Madeline, Clark. They are a group of amazing people. Stop, who stop are the recording. As a- Why do I get bottom billing <laughs> here? Today? Well, at least your name was right. That is true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got top billing and your name incorrect. Yeah, I have the so most. So, what is it worth it? It's the most aggressive personality. I think I've left the most trauma there. So she was just going off of what she knew. Although the trauma was so severe that she got the name wrong. Also, she put the the uh, the men as the bread of the sandwich. Oh. <laughs> so, Oksana, you and Madeline are the meat of the sandwich. How do yeah. you feel about that? Well, I think we talked to her the most outside of the episode. Yeah, because y'all are girls and girls I gab. Know. <laughs> well, you want, you We're know. Gabby girls. Gabby girls. <laughs> All right. Love you, Mary Beth. Your show's better than ours. All right. What, <laughs> what would we do? We gonna, are we going to watch that pay-per-view tonight? We 100% are watching that pay-per-view tonight. I thought it was last night, and then I was relieved when I woke up this morning. I like, oh, I can waste money watching this piece of garbage fight. All right, I'm down. I'm excited. That is the death of boxing. Randy. being bailed. Uh, do you know who's fighting tonight, Randy? Mayweather and a Paul brother. <laughs> Aaron Paul. Yeah, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. He's going to do meth and then fight. <laughs> now, again, I, oh, I'm so bummed. I asked you before we started recording who's putting on the show. I really thought it was going to be another Paul production or whatever the fuck they did last time. Again, this is a call out to all of our listeners. I know all 20 of you. Please start looking on the internet. Find me where I don't have to buy that fucking pay-per-view. Because again, I heard they did a slap fight that was moderated by Ric Flair, and I need that audio. I promise if I get it, I will play it on the show. <laughs> Are you still with me? <laughs> <laughs> slap fight? Yeah, you know, like... Um, I can't... Dude, that's... The, oh, it's rough. It's brutal. It's super brutal. I actually watched one of the first, like, uh, girl fights in one of the... Uh, I don't know, online organization. Also, let me just say, I love it because they, tur- they made a sport that they really just cut all the fat off of that thing. It's like you could film it in a closet 
you get two people who you want to see hit each other and it's not really hitting each other and it's not like you get concussions all the time but clearly that shit is it's not fun yeah but it's a lot of fun to watch and you get like these big fucking doughy dudes they're looking for the 15 minutes what a good what a good model for a company my hat's off to you slap fighter people (laughs) i'd be a bad slap fighter i have tiny hands no but you would moderate it you could be a ref I don't want to be a ref, dude. I don't want to be a ref. I don't want to be an umpire. You know, I was an umpire in college at the um, uh, scrimmage stuff. No, I didn't. Yeah, that sounds like it would be like a very uh, in, in intramural softball anxiety fueled job. I hate it. Also, I don't. I don't. You. I feel like you got. I don't have know a, if I ever got paid. You'd really have to like be a dude that could stand your ground. And make a call and then have a bunch of people mad at you no matter what it is. Yeah. I couldn't do it. be like, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't really care. That's not a good attitude either. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. You're like, it's a strike. And they're like, no, it's not. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe yeah, it wasn't. It's down. But the, yeah, okay. Whatever. All right. See, look at this. We're watching slap fighting here. Okay. The guy's warming up. And then the camera goes down. Most of... See, that's the thing. I feel like if you hit... The ear, that's that's the thing. No, nah, dude, they put cotton in the ear. So this guy does happens. it. This guy's got nude ear right no, now. No, he's got dude. he's got cotton in his ear. And the other side? Oh yeah, yeah, the other side. Yep. It's to protect know, your equilibrium, so you can still do gun kata. Oh, all right. Can I you hate stop this. distracting us with the visual? It. You it catch up on YouTube, and then I won't fight you on that. <laughs> or slap fight you? Yeah, <laughs> I won't slap fight you. <laughs> all right. I believe you have a segment. Yeah, you don't got anything you want to talk about up top? It's uh, been a long week. Well, I thought I broke my toe, but it's fine. Oh, it hurt. You dropped a pan on your foot? I dropped a pan lid. Uh, it was a direct hit. <laughs> it Big was, toe? So Big you toe? know you know when you've got the pan lid and you've got like the little handle? Yeah. So the handle landed directly on the nail of my big toe. On the cuticle or on the tip? On the, on, like, the, on, <laughs> You're it landed, something it landed <laughs> on my toe. Okay. And, like, it hit, like, directly there. Like a bullseye. Yeah. Right in the middle. And so, uh, but honestly, like, it's, it's not, it's not bad at all now. Um, no, you're showing me your foot. It's just a little, little bleeding here. You, but you still have the nail. Oh, yeah. No, you walked away. Don't rip up so, the hole. Oh, it's it's yes. blue. It's fine. It doesn't look happy. Here's the thing I'll tell you. But when, it doesn't hurt at all. When you're going to lose the toenail, yeah. it doesn't hurt. It'll look blue, yeah. and it'll happen like a month later. But see, that's the thing. I, will I, you think I'll lose this nail? You might. I'm, I'm kind of in and out right now with it. Uh, the big thing is, like, it, it didn't swell up that much, and uh, it doesn't hurt. Here, let me paint you a picture. So it's fine. You're back on the third floor of the hotel in Arizona. No, if they put me back on the third <laughs> floor, we're going to have problems. All right, you're back on the fourth floor. Seventh floor, nothing. Okay, they built the, the eighth floor just for you. You're Sorry back. Either. It's a hot day. You get inside and it's air conditioned. You have four beds. You don't know which one to sit on. But you pick one. You sit down, pull your shoe off. Here comes the sock. There's a little uh, pull back here. You know what's going on? Hey, you pull a little bit harder. Oh, there's a pain there now. You're going to make him throw up. I have, let me explain something to you. I have lived my almost 35 years of existence. I've never lost a nail. I, <laughs> I never want to lose a nail. I think I may lose this one. And it's, of course, it would be the biggest nail. Of course, it's the biggest one. It's the nail in the coffin. When in, when slash if I lose this nail, I will 
vomit profusely <laughs> and will probably pass out because the amount of vomit that is leaving my body. I'll tell you, you know, it's gross visually. And you'll probably have like one little root of the cuticle that's trying to, you know, it's holding on for dear life. And then you might even get like a little Kool-Aid stain on your sock and be like, what the fuck is that? But probably not because it's it's dead. I don't handle blood well, I, especially when it's my blood. I don't. It belongs in its place. <laughs> it stays in its neighborhood. And if it goes outside of its neighborhood where I can see it, we got problems. I, this thumb here, yeah, this thumb, I, there's a little scar. Your left thumb. Yeah, where I, I chopped the top of this thumb off, where it was like a, it like a lid, like a little lip. There's a little scar there. I was just chopping bell peppers, and I just, <laughs> and it, I, I just saw the thumb go. <laughs> I, I almost passed out, because you, have, you, have you ever passed out from like heat exhaustion or anything? No. I almost passed out from heat. Exhaust. I almost had a heat stroke. I am convinced I almost had a heat stroke. I'm, I think You're convinced I, you almost convinced. had a heat stroke. I, alm- <laughs> I almost passed out from heat exhaustion once. Okay. From football. It's <laughs> a hard life you're living. Um, you, see, you see black dots. Oh, and, I have had that. Yeah. Um, I had that, and then I had that when I chopped the top of this thumb off. <laughs> um. I was cooking bell peppers, and uh, that was also the day where I watched the four-hour Eagles documentary. <laughs> yeah, that's for the Eagles, not the chop. Thank you. Man, I, I can't do it. I just, I, I, I hate blood. Me too. And you know what? Uh, I realized I was making a wrong move when I found myself in an EMT class, and uh, we were going over what to do with open wounds. I'm like, wow, who the fuck am I kidding? Yeah. Yeah, I never went back. I can't do it. Yeah, me either. Randy, right. Randy was what does blood do to you? I'm okay with it. I'm not uh yeah, I don't know. I don't have any like strong reactions to it. But if you lost it, if you lost your toenail, yeah. Like what would you be like, eh, yeah, whatever. Uh I don't know. It'd probably be pretty gross. I'd be more worried about what happens when it grows back. If it's gonna like grow <laughs> back fucked up, you know? Yeah, how does it grow back? How does that work? I don't know. <sighs> Good question. I don't know. You know, you just said you just walked me through a very in-depth scenario. So I assume that you this is a road that no. you have traveled. All right. It's not normally a topic I talk about. Here we go. Because Oksana gets mad at me. But like my toe care, like, dude, I cut my toenails with a knife. Like it is not. And you know, what's funny is every now and then you get like a weird uh, cosmetic ding or something on the nail. You cut your toenails with a knife? Yeah, I don't. Where did you come from? <laughs> what happened? She gets so mad at me. Like she'll see me take out a knife and she'll be like, "Don't you fucking dare. Don't yeah, you dare." He also uses that knife to pick in his teeth sometimes. Yeah. Cuz he's a caveman. And open boxes and everything. What don't shake your head. It's not good radio. <laughs> You're going to belittle I'm me. I'm not worried about good radio. I'm worried about your well-being at this point. Oh, it's <laughs> All right. All right, enough toe talk. I mean, oh, that could be a new segment, toe talk. I mean, I bite my nails. What would be a stinger for toe talk? Like, what, what's it? Tap dancing? Ooh. Get some tap? Like, like that's not tapping. That's my rings. Yeah, All right, yeah, I we good? This. Okay. All right. Then I guess it's time for the <laughs> TBR report. The TBR report. Oh, boy. So uh, Thomas is—he's really uh, pumped 
with this segment, which makes me very happy. Also, he's clearly doing better promotion than we ever have. And by we, I mean this side of the room, Oksana, you do all the only promotion for everything we've ever worked on. So not a criticism of you. Me, Clark, not the best. Randy, he's got his moments. He comes in and out. Thomas, he's on it all the fucking time. Um, so he sent me a new one. You know what? I have an email. What am I doing? I'm doing this wrong. Here we go. He said, woohoo. Next recommendation. I, I wasn't happy with that. Woohoo. There we go. What Ric Flair show. Ne- <laughs> Next recommendation I bring to the TBR comes out of Japan called Tokyo videos of horror. Oh boy. Also known as Yami Daga. Yami Duga. I don't, it's one of those two. Yummy, yummy, do psychic, occult, grotesque, violence, madness, psychotic, introducing terrifying, shocking, and taboo images and of videos that cameras caught in Tokyo, Japan. Comprised of five different stories, Tokyo videos of horror blew my mind the last, the first time I'm watching, and much of the ghost spectral activity is unlike anything I've seen in both found footage horror movies combined. The last sequence is pretty gnarly, and so I'll just warn anybody who goes into this, it's not very family-friendly. However, if you were freaked out and enjoyed this as much as I did, then I've got some good news, because this baby goes all the way up to Yami Daga 15. Now, again, that was Thomas. He writes an email with everything. I should have set that up before. There's 15 of these jokers? There's 15 of these fucking movies. Now, I told him... Nigel, challenge. We had uh, started watching... One of them a long time ago, and I can't, I think it was too late. I think we turned it on at like one in the morning, and I had turned it off. And I never revisited it, mostly because I was intimidated by 15 volumes of this. Um, he did go on to say, personally, I think the first one is the best and scariest, but I do enjoy all the others too. Currently, I just finished watching number 13, so I'm getting close to finishing the video series. And some of these later dive into time travel sci-fi elements, which are really enjoyable. Um, so, uh, Thomas, he checks in with the, uh, TBR report. The TBR report. Every Thursday after the episode goes up. So as of now, we're recording on, um, Sunday. He finished the whole thing. Um, you're out there doing God's work, Thomas. And I'm so happy to be a part of this with you. Now, me and Oksana did watch the first volume, which I'm calling it volume. Because to paint a picture of what the uh, the Tokyo videos of horror feel like when now, you watch are, them. Is this like an anthology series? It's kind of like Faces of Death. Oh, oh God. Well, no, no. Oh just, just structurally. Because what you get is uh, you get the vibe that this is like TV content. And um, I can't. Now, before we had mentioned factor fiction, and you had never seen it before, right? With, oh, I have seen this cover. Wait, no, no, no. Go, go to Factor Fiction. Pull that up. Because that was a TV show they said had the gimmick where they would show a bunch of short films and then you would guess if it was Factor Fiction at the end and they had a Star Trek cast member up there and he would kind of narrate the whole thing. This is kind of the same thing where we come in here. It feels like uh, it's an anthology with a very heavy narration. And I don't mean a VO. Like the first one opens with a cold warning. And it says, actually, I think I took a picture of it. Um, it says the images you will see in the next moment might give you a serious impact to your mind and body. Now, of course, that's translated, but they warn you all the time, which it's got that 
TV news feel to it where it's like, we found this stuff and we're going to share it with you. But since this is like TV in the nineties, this is very serious and you should be careful. And it's got that very heavy handed narration. Now there are one, two, three, there are five different shorts in this. I think it's like an hour long. Yeah. It's 60 minutes long there. They range from kind of lengthy little like creepypasta kind of stories to like fucking quick. I, uh, on, if you follow me on Instagram, I put up a video. Did you, did you see that video, Clark? No, there are, uh, there's a family, um, a dad and what I'm guessing is his son and daughter. A nuclear family. Well, there's no mom. I don't know. Um, oh. all their faces are blurred out and the dad steps up and walks away. And while the, uh, two kids are sitting there on the floor, a face manifests out of the wall and is just chilling there looking around a little bit. Mm hmm. And then uh, it goes away. That's one of the videos. Tight. But the context is all, you know, we found this tape was brought to us by somebody and uh, we have a member of the family here and they're going to do an interview. So was that mommy? No, I don't know. I, you know what? I, I was having so much fun with these that I didn't actually, I, you know, you're right. I should have suspended disbelief more because there was one. Um, the second one, there's a video of a family at a beach and they're hanging out. And then we, we cut to an interstitial like we love in found footage. Sure. And it's like the family then got into a car wreck. And it's like, okay. And then it's like, here's video from earlier that day. And they're at like a flower shop or something. Everybody's in the car. And there's an entity in the background. And uh, I should say everything's diegetic. So it's camera in the car from one of the family members filming the back seat. And then... The ghost is in the background like, okay, that's cute. And then she's up against the window of one of the kids and just staring in. That shit, I got goosebumps thinking about it right now. And there's another moment. A lot of these have that like three beat kind of thing. Like there's three different moments where something happened. The third one I didn't even catch until they did the, let's take another look at the tape. Because they do that in all of these. And I don't know. It's, it's a lot of fun. And... uh in in uh Thomas's email, he mentions that the last sequence is a little uh, gnarly. It is a little gnarly. The last one could be unearthed. Oh. It's uh it's got nudity, check, and it's also got the ghost of a um oh, Oksana. How do I even how do I even approach this? Christmas past? <sighs> Not quite. Um. Let's just say uh, there's a third uh, trimester abortion that happens on camera that's kind of um, committed through Sempoku. How, how do you say that? When you like kill somebody, you kill yourself with the sword? Sempoku? Harry Carey. It's, it's Harry Carey. And I'll tell you, the ghost is of that. Uh, uh, the ghost is of the, the, the very tiny corpse that is laying center frame. With his little uh, physical attachment to his mom, Dude, I'll just tell you it's brutal. Physical attachment. I'm yeah. The umbilical. I'm, I'm cord? doing a bad job of tiptoeing around this. It's straight up on Earth, and it's it's fucking raw, dude. It's it's pretty. Uh, two dudes are forcing a girl to pay back her debt by giving them some video that they can sell. It's dude. It's gnarly, and it feels out of place when one of the other videos is like, um. His boss has driven him out to the woods and they have to go dig a grave. And the dude's filming and he's like, why are, what, where, what grave is out here? Like we're out in the middle of the woods. Yeah. And uh, he performs a little ritual and it, I'm, this isn't a spoiler. He clearly 
has made somebody mad and they've set him up to curse himself. And it's kind of fun. There's floating heads that come out of the woods and shit. They look cool, but dude, nothing can prepare you for that last one. So um I'm I'm down. I'll watch it. So all, I'll watch it. All 15 volumes, which are very um you know, I should mention, if this were on TV, it would have that kind of feeling of authority. And it would really weigh heavier. But because we're watching it streaming on Amazon Prime, it's got more of the like goofy involved. I think if you suspend disbelief, you can have a lot of fun here. Also, if you watch movies alone, this is a good one to watch alone at home. I wouldn't recommend bringing a group of friends together and projecting it. So this is not date night. No, but it's also, I think a movie like this would get, um, it's, it's, it's walking a fine line. And if you're with a crowd, they could easily flip on this film and just try and like, you know, make it a sacrificial lamb for a joke. And it it really deserves more than that. I say, watch it alone at night and, uh, you know, come in, suspend disbelief. Now you watch the first one of 15. Did you get a little taste? And now, you know, you, you know that TB went the whole way with it. I know. And I, if I wasn't so busy, I would have been like, Oksana, we got to try and go up to, I think we talked about trying to do three and uh, we only did one, but I, I would like to continue this. Yeah. Do you want to watch one? Yeah. I'll tell you right now. It's not for free. Amazon prime. I think it's a rental. I think it was, like, I'm liquid baby. <laughs> All right, good. We got to support this shit. Otherwise, uh, Amazon might just dump it or decide like, it's foul and use it for like a headline to get my, I don't know. Fuck Bezos. Anyway, uh, how do I end? I don't have an outro for Jeffrey, this thing. Huh? Jeffrey, Jeffrey oh, Here we go. Bezos. That concludes the TBR report. The TBR report. Again, Thomas, I love you. You know what? Um, Brench Fry, I think we only got a couple more of those two-sentence horror stories. If you want to pull double duty, uh, submit a couple two-sentence stories, too. Yeah, that's right. a good that's a good picture of Thomas right there. He's got his back he's got his hat backwards. All right. That's a good picture. Do not distract the host with <laughs> with good visual images of our uh that's good lighting. Of our operative. No, no, it's a good picture. I think that's he that's the one he uses on his um letterbox. It looks very skater boy. I said see you later, see boy. You later, boy. <laughs> Randy Michael. Yes, sir. Were you able to uh Get it up. Watch a cup. What? Hmm? Get it. What? what is we it? all know the answer. We don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> His social media is really pushing hard there. Do not talk about Randy or I's penis. Why do you like to talk about mine all the time? Because you've got penis problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's the name of my memoirs, dude. You've got, you've got your radio issues. Dude, penis problems, a.k.a. pee-pee. 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 It's an acronym. Pee-pee. Randy, save it. Save Spe- us. Speaking of PP, <laughs> I watched AQPP2 in theaters. This is a little bit of a retread. A Quiet Place Part 2. AQPP2. <laughs> That's the coolest droid in Dude, Star Wars. That is, a, that is a good droid name for sure. I'm writing that down. That is the best droid name. Uh, but yeah, I... I Super dug watching this in a theater. Thought it was really good. Uh, really enjoyed the intro, which kind of uh, is a little bit of a not a prequel, but like a it goes back to like day one of when the aliens came. And I thought it was very effective. A lot of it was in the trailer, but there was like more to be seen still too, um, which 
I thought was cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. All of it was, um, you know, really well directed, well filmed. Um, a lot of the acting was good. I liked the addition of Killian Murphy, although I don't know if he had like a lot to do in the movie, but I like Killian Murphy. We got uh, Digimon Hansu, right? Digimon Hansu. I was just reading an article about why he was, uh, spoiler, <laughs> why he uh, dies so quick in the movie. Randy. Who? I don't know Digimon. Digimon's tight. Digimon Hansu? In, uh, Blood Diamond? Yeah. But, yeah, um, know. Apparently, I don't know if you've heard this, there's going to be a third one. Do you know who's directing? Clark, you know this director. Sandy Tan. Sandy Tan, Quiet Place 2. Callback to our favorite guest. No, of course, it's Michael Bay. It's actually Jeff Nichols. Really? Yep. Who's that? He's directed uh, Take Shelter, Mud, Midnight Special. Oh. Yeah, you know... I'll buy it. This makes sense. I watched I watched so much supplemental material for uh, AQPP2 <laughs> that I kept coming up. Like, you could hear uh, John Krasinski talking a lot about, like, making a part two and how, like, he was not on board at first. Hmm. And then he really got, you know, smitten with his idea. And he was like, you know what? I think we could do it. And then now it's like, all right, they're going to do a part three. And you could tell he was like, they're going to do a part three. Oh yeah, he's like we we have a world, and you know what? It's all theirs. But you could tell he was like, "I'm done. Like we're out of it." Dude, he's been working on Hank the Cow Dog. That's the only thing he's done. Who Nichols? Yeah, since uh oh wow, loving now Randy. Um, when I covered it, I put up the show notes late, but I did put a um video where John Krasinski kind of walks through that opening sequence. Yeah, like frame by like, and it's really good. Huh. And um, he t- you know he mentions how the camera broke and it did like a zoom on his wife and he was like honestly we kept that take, but that's a happy accident that could have fucked shit up. And he talks about how that original stunt that's in the trailer everybody's seen forty eight thousand times was yeah it's real, and how they had a stuntman on the roof of the car, and I guess like Emily Blunt was just like hey, like. I, I hope you, you know what you're doing. And he, he just looked down because stunt, we all know stuntmen are the, the coolest people in the film industry. Yeah. And he just looked down and he said, don't worry, I'm the best. And I'm like, dude, who's that guy? Like, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, but he really was driving that car with that bus coming at him. I don't know. You, watch that video, Randy. It's good. Yeah. I mean, even in the movie, it, it looks very practical. I didn't even really like second guess it at all. You know, it looks, it looks legit. It's Which cool that it weird. was. When they have all those fucking CG crab aliens running around. They look good, though. I'm surprised how much of the creatures we actually saw in the movie. There's, there's more in this one? There's a lot more. They're on, they get a lot of camera time in part two. And yeah. you know what? Randy's right. It's not distracting. It, uh, a lot of the movie reminded me of seeing Jurassic Park when I was a kid. Kind of like the Velociraptor oh. scenes, you know? Yeah. It gave Dude. me that like similar kind of like intensity and like, uh, yeah, just... You know, it's not scary, but it's very uh, tense. Man, you, that's a sore subject. You know, I never saw Jurassic Park in a theater. I think I think really? we talked about it. Well, because it's a sore subject, and I bring it up whenever I can. <laughs> I saw it like 13 times in a theater, which I know it. I've mentioned before. And it's one of the reasons how my mother ruined my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> the other was feeding me formula till I was six years old. Well, so don't I worry. my childhood obesity on her. They're still making more of them. You can catch all the good new ones. Oh, don't worry. I, I saw Jurassic Park <laughs> 3 in theaters. 
with William H. Macy. Hey, three was better than two. You got Chris three Pratt. Three is not better now. than Lost World. Yeah, it is. Three is better than Lost World? I think, you know, if you're going to Jurassic Park, you want to be on the island having an adventure. Lost World's good, though. Uh, I like Lost World. Now, Lost World just had Goldblum, right? No, Sam Neill was there, wasn't he? No, I don't think so. I don't I think, remember. I, think I don't think so. Goldblum. All right, it's been a very long time. Oh, man. I have, if, I had, if I had it cut up correctly, I would totally would have played that Tom Riley clip with his Jeff Goldblum. That oh. is my favorite fucking thing. Uh, it's just gold. <laughs> so true. Can, can I play it? It's 30 seconds it? long. I still have it, all right, but all right, here we go. Now, according to this, I have to pick a voice. Number one, Kevin Spacey. Hi, this is Kevin Spacey. <laughs> no, that's oh, creepy. I'm sorry. You don't like this Number voice? Two, Jeff <laughs> Goldblum. Oh, yes, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, this is the uh, drop you off. Okay, that's all I wanted. <laughs> Uh, the best impression is when you introduce I, you were doing I impression. know that's the hallmark of a great impression for sure You're like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> like oh, okay <laughs> get the fuck off the stage alright All right, so, so Randy you liked uh, QPP2 yeah yeah it's good I mean you know it's kind of uh, it doesn't do a ton more to like open up the, the world from the first movie but it's definitely a super enjoyable theater experience that's Digimon Oh, that's Digimon. Yeah, I do. I really he was like in, him. He was in um, um, that movie, Serenity. Yeah. No, I like him. Uh, He's yeah. a good actor. Also, I realized I was just counting while y'all were talking. You could get QPP2 tattooed on your knuckles. It'd be perfect. Oh, we already have love and hate on there. <laughs> Damn it. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Randy. Speaking of love and hate, I saw a movie called Profile. This is also another retread. Ooh. Oh, oh, now, Randy, not only did you see Profile, but you teased this in our group uh, texting uh, chat yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it becomes more obvious. I thought I was smart, but it becomes more obvious throughout the film. But Yes. Now, you teased this. Let me pull it up here. You said... Something about a plot hole or rule break to yeah, watching screen Watching Profile, life. finally, it's good. Think I just saw a plot hole slash rule break that kind of bugs me though. Now hold on, can I guess what it was? Because I yeah. think I, I think a lot of the audience was right there with you when they watched it. And is it when she's talking about um, she kind of lets it slip that she's the firstborn. No, it's purely a technical thing. Oh, oh, tell me. So you uh, you find out pretty early on that what we're seeing on the screen is from a folder from like a hard drive of videos of screen recordings. So they kind of like are able to like fast forward through days, you know? Yeah. In like a way that makes sense. But she didn't even know how to screen record until like midway through the first day. So what screen recordings were those? Oh, I thought she had that tech guy come on and he was doing it. Yeah. But how was that recorded? She didn't know how to do it yet. I thought they were doing the IT thing where she's, he's operating on there her was, computer. No, that, that what we were seeing there was a screen recording from the files. Oh. Yeah, I'm with you, Randy. I was kind of wondering the same thing because I, I got thrown off by all that too. Yeah, and um, then you see her like start the screen recording again like in the other like later days on, and then you see her like end it, but it's like, if you're starting and ending the screen recording then, then like what is the screen recording that we're watching? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's like a, oh man, that's almost like an Inception complaint. 
because there's so many layers of like <sighs> yeah but they may they they make it overly convoluted i thought it was cool how that the idea of like what we're watching is like someone reviewing like videos that are oh, like sure. from yep. the investigation because yeah that totally gets away from like it being in real time and you can go from like day two to day three to day like 15 if you wanted to but oh, yeah. there's not a whole lot of preamble like we jump into it yeah and uh but yeah randy like again uh, yeah we're talking about profile a, a movie that uh, we brought up uh, two three weeks ago now um where essentially a british journalist um is interviewing someone as a part of isis who is recruiting young um british and american women um to come be a part of their nonsense so uh, this un- this journalist goes undercover and starts talking uh, with this guy who's trying to recruit her to be his wife and come to uh, Syria and all that fun stuff. So, uh, Randy, what did now again? Like you mentioned this before of you know the sort of the time jumping as we're really kind of looking at this through someone clicking these videos in these files. So, did it take you a while to get used to the pacing of this movie? Because it did for me a little bit as well, and it kind of threw. I think. I think that it's supposed to keep you off balance in terms of like a timeline. Um, no, it didn't really bug me or take me too long to kind of get into it, but I, I get that. Um, but yeah, I thought uh, the girl who played Amy was really good and the person who played Belial, they were both really, really good. I mean, I think it has sort of like the horror movie problem where people make increasingly sort of not smart decisions, but um, it didn't bug me too much. Um, but yeah, it was just that one like technical thing that kind of like bugged me and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> now you, you got me on there too. Like I'm now, so I saw the movie twice in theaters Yeah, and when I went back for round two, I was kind of, I really lived in the craft of the film and I completely didn't catch this thing. Huh. And, but the thing is the way that they structured a typical studio film out of like I don't know, like a month of footage constructing it in such a way that it made sense that somebody would be watching it over again, but also keeping in, in track with like kind of a traditional arc of a movie. And again, there's like BGM, they do the unfriended thing where she'll play like a playlist. Yeah. And it's usually appropriate, but the thing, all the other like slight shit that I didn't catch the first time. That's so good. is like the train, like she lives by a train station. Yeah. And you'll notice when you're watching it, they do the ambient swell, like paranormal activity with the train. So, you know, like in a theater, like with a quiet place too, AQPP2, you notice when there's no music, because if you're chewing popcorn, like people are looking at you. Mm-hmm. And in that film, they manage that with like diegetic sound. And it's so meticulously crafted that I want to talk to the writer and just be like, hey, <laughs> our engineer, he, he pointed something out. Because I feel like they must have an answer. Again, I do really like this film, and I just want it to be, uh, you know, bulletproof. But <laughs> Randy, what did you think of the cover of Get Lucky that is played early on? In the film? I don't know. It's all right. I liked it a lot. I knew you like you like girls with acoustics covering dumb songs. What are you talking about? I'm talking about when no, that watch- girl with the acoustics covering Creep in a video. <laughs> Uh, Macy Gray covered. Creep. No, what is what is that one? Hunt, Hunt, the movie Hunt. Do you remember the song that ends that movie? 
in the credits. No, but I, I think I shazammed it and it was good. It's Dragula by Rob Zombie covered by a girl playing it on acoustic. That's way better than Rob Zombie. I know, but I think you just have, you like that. You like the, uh, th- there's like a hint of irony there that kind of bugs me. I like a talent, bro. I, and honestly, I did Shazam it too, and it is on my like Thank blues. you so much. But non-ironically. What? Not everything is irony with me, bro. <laughs> now, Clark is looking at me with sunglasses on and a pink bandana, mind you. I'm living my truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Randy, back to you. Back to your uh, review. That's it for profile. Uh, I just briefly want to mention. Huh? I just said it's Pride Month. So I'm wearing my pink bandana. Oh, hell yeah. See? <laughs> I'm gay now. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing I quickly want to mention is uh, I watched the new Bo Burnham special documentary yes. movie. You don't even know who Bo I call Burnham him, is. I call him Boo Burnham. No, I, <laughs> he'd probably sign off on that. Uh, made, shot, edited, uh, cinematography, music, all by him. Um, shot it over the pandemic. Um, all takes place in one room, kind of just him, uh, you know, with keyboards and computers and a bunch of different lighting setups and like a projector and stuff. Um, this thing looks really, really good considering it's all filmed in one room. Um, it's funny. It's dark. It's got some good music. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I could see people that do not care for Bo Burnham at all. I could see people that you know, think he's kind of cringy or whatever, but um, I don't know. I don't know if I've seen a lot of his stuff besides eighth grade. Um, so I don't know if I've seen a lot of his like YouTube stuff, but this is really good. It's super inventive, like the editing and everything that he does, like with the camera. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it was obviously he probably had a lot of time during the pandemic to just, you know, create this thing. Um, and you could tell that, you know, um, you I don't know. It probably took months to shoot this thing, but yeah, he, he does a whole bunch of different kind of like goofy sort of, uh, things where he like is imitating like streamers and stuff like that. And so it's a lot of like internet, um, satire stuff like that. And also just like talking about, there's a good song about Jeff Bezos, um, which Clark texted me about, um, and a bunch of just really, um, entertaining stuff in here. Um, I don't know. I think it's really, really good. It might be one of my favorite, things that came out that kind of like um was made during the pandemic and kind of like speaks to like certain people's experiences about the pandemic um yeah i don't know it's really good now randy you're like two lights short of being able to do this yourself what's stopping (laughs) you um i don't have as much dedication as bo burnham and or talent as bo burnham has bo burnham is wildly talented uh, yeah, I, I watched half of this. I'll watch the whole thing. Um, I just kind of wanted to see what the fuss was about. And uh, frankly, when I got to the Je- uh, the Jeff Bezos song, I had to tap out because that was too good. And I, I, I was like, well, we're not good. This is the top one out. <laughs> I, however, hate Boo Burnham. And I think he uh, is a good boy. I had to explain to you who Bo Burnham was. <laughs> Bo Burnham has been famous since he was a child. Yeah. He, he was doing this stuff when he was 15. Now, I will tell you that, look, this absolutely deserves all the credit in the world. Bo Burnham deserves all the adulation. Uh, again, I, he is wildly talented. Um, however, I want to 
set the record straight here. This is not the first time a comedy special has taken place like uh, just with a person by themselves without an audience. Like this is a thing. Yeah. There have been inventive comedy specials before. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I just want to, you know, let people know like, Hey, Bo Burnham has opened the doors for many people who don't watch a lot of comedy specials. So <laughs> I, I think it's great. And as a person who, you know, has watched many a comedy special in his life, you know, welcome, you know, all, all you new people. Now, here's some other things that you can enjoy as well. So, um, you know, I just, I just feel like that, the, you know, this is uh, just the end all be all of comedy specials and that's all fine and good, but I don't even like, I mean, I guess it is technically a comedy special, but watching it just felt like a, like I said, like a film or like a documentary didn't, cause it's not like super laugh out loud funny. And it, well, I don't know, the, it, it kind of feels like it goes on a little bit of like an emotional narrative as well. It felt a little, I don't want to say it's like an elevated comedy special, but it just felt like a, you know, it felt like a unique thing, which totally like you would kind of expect that, from him. That's what I was trying to avoid. I did not want to say elevated comedy yeah. special on the same vein of like Russell and Coot in your ever ending battle against A24 and yeah. elevated horror. Yeah. It's, we're, it's sort of in the same zone here. Um, but uh, Again, like, yes, I enjoyed this uh, from what I saw, and even like with the Jeff Bezos thing, because that's just silly. And I think he's at his best when he's silly. Um, but, you know, he's not, not all of his stuff has always been, you know, it's, again, for lack of a better term, some of it is just, oh, that's cute. Are you dinging him because there was no enjoyable. live audience? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely I was, I was not. just curious because I know that's important to you. It is important, but like uh, Harland Williams shot a comedy special. Geez, 2011, 2012. Um, God, maybe in 2010, actually. I forgot <laughs> the name of it, but it's, it's all out in the wilderness. He oh. shot it in like Joshua Tree, and he's just uh, himself for an hour doing material and trying a force to of nature is that is that what it's called i'm guessing i'm clicking yeah. on it now and then yeah. like um maria bamford did a comedy special um at her house in front of her parents it's oh, just okay. her and her parents so you know um i don't know you want to talk about elevated stand-up we got to mention a uh, tim heidecker I've seen it like four times. I know, dude. I um, I don't. Think I watched I, it recently. I watched it this week, dude. I I love that. I I love challenging an audience. And I mean, if you've ever been to one of our film fests, you know that <laughs> ice cold Corona. <laughs> what is the name of that special? It's Tim Decker, a comedy special. Okay, a night of Tim Heidecker. I know. I I didn't want to get it wrong. I'm glad I let you get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's just, it's so straightforward that I I think even with like an internet audience, you might come in and get like- An evening with Tim Heidecker. There we go. It's perfect. It's very elevated sounding. Bow, bow, you, bow, you bow, get, bow, oh, dude, I love it. Bow, bow, Fuck, I love bow, it. Bow, 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 bow. Also, uh, briefly before Randy, you move on, I just wanted to mention um, my favorite thing about post or profile. Why do I keep calling it post? Post? Malone? Yeah, right. Um, profile. Um, the, uh, Christine Adams, the one who plays the like news reporter boss. Yeah. She plays that exact same character in that movie, the unholy. Oh, and really? they came out, dude, they came out like a month apart, but she's literally, it's weird because in both films, she's playing a character who's sending journalists out into like, you know, iffy territory. And she's 
dude, the same arc, growth, attitude, everything. It's so fucking weird. Huh. And it's not like they were like filmed back to back because the profile, I think, was what, 2000 or 2018. And the Unholy came out this year. So I, I'm always curious, like, was she like, fuck, like those movies came out back to back when theaters opened and I'm the same fucking character. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I had to mention that. I forgot to when I covered profile. Ugh. Yeah, Clark left the room, so it's still your. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, so I haven't seen the Unholy. I don't know if I would care. You're not for gonna it. watch the Unholy. Don't don't trip about the Unholy. It's not for you, and that's okay. I'll watch the it unholy- if it's streaming on a place I already have a thing for. <laughs> Membership. It's your commitment, just the way you delivered that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to pee. Also, you, you know- peed that quick. Let me explain something to you. Did it come out on the way there? Like I'm, I don't, I don't pee in the toilet anymore. You don't QPP in the toilet no more. Sink. I, I pee <laughs> in the shower. Oh, we're going down that road, huh? <laughs> a because it's it's closer to the door <laughs> <laughs> by literally a footstep. Mm-hmm. I just turn left, detrail, and then just go right into the drain. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's more eco-friendly too, less water. Yes, I'm not flushing the waters. I'm saving the environment, Gavin Newsom. What about like lingering aromas or uh It's a shower. Water goes there, man. It's fine. Yeah, but uh, did you ever think there's a, a reason that Seinfeld had a bit where George was peeing in the shower? And even though, you know, all the things you mentioned were cool, the other people didn't seem to be cool about it. Like oh. Because they're narrow-minded, man. <laughs> Me and George are free thinkers. Now nah, I'm narrow urethra. I'm an open mind, though. Are you narrow urethra? Then? Yeah, we've covered this. I didn't know it was narrow. That's though. why they crammed a fucking I know your camera mind, I didn't know your urethra <laughs> and your mind were the, the same thing. My common. mind is open. <laughs> you know, the other one, not so much. God, I wish my, my, wish my urethra was narrow. <laughs> At least I have an excuse. <laughs> Randy, save us. Uh, that's it for me. Okay. <laughs> Good enough. This week, I don't think I watched a movie. I have fallen behind with my um, paper keeping skills, with my secretary skills, in terms of keeping track of everything that I watch through my letterbox oh, application. Okay. So I don't think I watched a movie this week. Instead, I watched an entire television series that we have talked about on this show. This was brought up by former guest, current friend, Jasadi Perkins. Oh, okay. Invincible, the animated television series that is available on Amazon Prime right now. Okay, so apparently this was based on a comic book series. Uh, surprise, surprise. Where essentially um, a young man. Yeah, I think this is the wrong one, Oxana. There we go. <laughs> uh, a young man has a father. That father is the most powerful superhero in all of the galaxy. He goes by the name of Omni-Man, and he is voiced by... What's his name? J.K. Simmons. <laughs> J.K. Simmons. Thank you so much. I wanted to say J. Jonah Jameson. J.J. <laughs> like, what is his name? J.K. Simmons. And the boy is 17, 18 years old and still doesn't have his powers. Then he gets his powers... And then his dad goes off and does something crazy. Don't want to say what happens because that sort of sets up the entire 
series. He storms the Capitol. So, um, and then <laughs> our, our young antagonist, who was voiced by Stephen Yoon. Um, Hell yeah. Does a great job. He's, he's great. Uh, Sandra Oh plays, dude, yeah, scroll down. This is so, Randy, I'm going to read you the cast here. Yeah, I'm we looking at it right Stephen now. Stephen Yoon, J.K. Simmons, Sandra Oh, Walton Goggins, Zachary Quinto, Gillian Jacobs. Jason Manzoukas. My man. Mark Hamill, Clancy Brown. Oh, Clancy Brown plays my favorite character. Clancy Brown. Russell, are you ready for this? I, hold this on, is, hold on. Let me buckle up. Please. Okay. You, I'm ready now. <laughs> Clancy Brown plays a character named Damien Darkblood, who is a demon detective. Damien Darkblood, the demon detective? Yes. <laughs> Shit. This is where I got into the show. <laughs> Hey, you because, know you know who else is in it? Hmm. Demon Hansu. Yes, he is. He plays a character who speaks zero like English language. Demon Hansu? Yeah. That's a hell of a name. That's, the, that's a that's a quiet a, place too. The guy who we're just talking about. Digimon. Digimon. Oh. Yeah, Digimon's in this. He's got many a name. Yeah, he plays he plays one of the flat he I believe he plays the flaxen alien uh leader there. They got pills to fix that. This is yeah, oh yeah, Damien <laughs> Damien Darkblood plays a demon detective. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's very good. And he speak like this. It's good. I'll tell you, this is one of the more violent shows I've ever seen in all of my life. The first episode, I needed to take a break after the first episode. <laughs> I was just like, this is too much, man. You signed up for better health. This is, I, <laughs> you got a therapist. I needed a breather. I needed to take a break. And I didn't, it was a week, but it was a week. Now, I binged episode two through episode eight. Oh, shit. But there was a week in between me watching the first episode and the rest of the show. You were just pondering. Well, it was just like, gee whiz, this is, <laughs> this is a lot to process. Like, John, what, gosh, Willikers? I don't know. I very much liked the show. Um, when it got to the payoff of why Omni Man did what he did, you kind of pieced everything together, and the payoff was kind of like, eh, okay, all mm-hmm. right, I guess this is what we're doing now. And it it really sets up the rest of the the series, uh, you know, especially for season two. So, which I think has already gotten the green light. I think the show's doing very well. Uh, John Hamm's also in this. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Jeffrey Donovan. Yeah, he's good. So, oh, Rogan. Seth Rogen, not Joe. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I really, I really did enjoy this. The again, the animation, um, the animation is good. I, you know, it, it, I, I do like animation, Russell. I'm fine with it. I, I got halfway through episode one and didn't turn back. I did like it. I, I like the show, and I, I will continue to watch it. Whoa, um, skeleton, dead guy number one. Wait, that's a credit. <laughs> Wait, go back. They, on IMDb, they credit Skeleton as dead guy number one. Yeah, I have no idea. And when you click Skeleton, it shows you a picture of a skeleton. His <laughs> gravestone did not have rest in peace inscribed and was drafted into Skeleton War, fighting bravely in the Army of Darkness till his death fighting Jason and the Argonauts, running off a cliff and sinking into the ocean, later recouping with Jack Skellington in a haunted shipwreck. Eventually, the war ended and he decided to become a dot, dot, dot. We don't need to open that up. Who the fuck paid for this? I oh, want to give him a handshake. Oh, he's five foot four. Good job, buddy. Me too. Wait, wait. He's credited in twenty things: <laughs> Scooby Doo, Two, Dark and Stormy Night, Poltergeist, oh, what, the Goonies. 
<laughs> Ghostbusters. Who did this? Who's responsible? Is this two thousand one? A Space Odyssey. Is this Charlie? <laughs> is this we got Birdman? Do or is it is it Brench Fry? This seems like Brench Fry's work on IMDb. I now again because we were very in the know. We're very industry now. We talk to people and they complain about how they need to pay for everything you put in IMDb. Somebody paid some money to get Skeleton in here. Did you, wait? Hold on. He's got a trivia question. I think it was Bezos. Uh, trivia was going to appear in the film Rumble 2022, but died before he could accept the role. Good uh, job. Congratulations. Whoever did this, uh, talk to us, please. Sorry, that just changed my whole life. That is great. You know what? Rem- please, as a note, can you put down? I want to link to that. I'm going to forget. Brady, have you started this show? No, I've been debating it. Um, I like. I'm thinking about either watching this and or Modoc. I what can't is, believe Modoc is a real show. What is Modoc? Modoc is also an acronym and a Marvel villain that I used to like a lot when I was little. Mm-hmm. Randy, you want to go? I don't know. It's a uh, it's a Patton <laughs> Patton Oswalt is the voice for Modoc. He's just like a he's just like a big head. He's got like no body apparently. I don't know. I heard it was funny. It's on Hulu. Have you? Oh, you haven't actually watched any of it. No, not yet. Dude, Modoc, you know, him and Longshot used to do a lot of combat. Longshot, uh, whose mutant ability is he's lucky. Um, yeah, they, they had a lot of, uh, you know, they got a lot of air on the Saturday morning X-Men show. And that's, you know, really my gateway drug there. All right, Modoc. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, actually, that's not true. I did watch one film uh, that I think we, you want to talk about it now or you got something else queued up? Uh, oh, is it my turn? Um, yeah, I briefly want to mention something. Okay. Um, so uh, Oksana and Terrell, whom I both love dearly, uh, were so into watching this movie where the only art for a little while was a uh, disheveled looking woman in a dilapidated house holding what looked to be like a Wes Anderson rabbit by its ears. Now, the hilarity. When you say Wes Anderson rabbit, do you mean claymation? Kind of. It's got a lot of detail and it's the the subtleties are very pronounced. So the eyeballs are big and cute, but they're stylized in such a way that it's kind of creepy. And um, the the conversations that would happen between the two who neither of them could pronounce the name, which is caveat, would call it KVT, Kavet. Oksana, you want to throw in some? I know. Yeah. Again. Cavett. You have a degree in English? <laughs> it's a degree in creative writing. Okay, I'm cutting her mic off. Uh, we just found out something. She might not be on the show anymore. Um, and Sherelle was no better. And it was hilarious because every time they'd be like, oh, are we going to watch Cavett? Are we going to watch Cave AT? Are we gonna? And I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I could never remember the movie. Anyway, don't want to spend a lot of time here. It's on Shudder. Um, it's good. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's like David Lynch. You know what? Like, they don't know what they're talking about. If it's anything like David Lynch, we have a kind of muted palette visually. There's a lot of um, detail everywhere. Everything feels very like hyper real in this house. And you know what? Here, let me set it up. Uh, a lone drifter suffering from partial memory loss accepts a job to look after a psychologically troubled woman in an abandoned house on an isolated island. 
Now, part of the thing when he gets here is that the girl, she's mentally unstable and doesn't feel comfortable having a stranger just roaming around. So they put him in a leather vest and they would just chain to a wall. Is this live action? Yeah, it's okay. live. And, um, and the bunny is too. It's not um, stop motion. Okay. That's, yeah. This movie's a trip. I don't want to tell you anymore. I feel like I may have told you too much. It's incredibly fun. We watched it after um, an outing at the movie theater. And uh, it was late and we were kind of looking forward to having a drink of wine and watching something that we could like laugh and have fun with. And we put this on and it it had the reverse effect where nobody talked and we we're just like in the movie. And, you know, at post 10 p.m. after going out to a theater, it's really hard to do that. So this movie's great. It's on Shutter now. I highly recommend checking it out. Randy, I think you should tune in for this one. Hell yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah, I highly recommend that. Um. Now, the movie we saw beforehand, which was a, uh, dude, it's been three weeks in a row. We've been going to the theater. It's great. I fucking love it. And um, I'll tell you this, much like a K Cave AT or Cavit, uh, I didn't think I was going to get a lot out of The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. And I enjoyed this film thoroughly in a way that completely caught me off guard. It might be my favorite one. Now, Clark, really? I know you stayed home. Yes. And you watched it. Yes. And I'm guessing you didn't have the same reaction. I. <sighs> the Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, I thought was um, perfectly inoffensive. I'll tell you, I imagined watching it at home and it bummed me out. <sighs> so I started it and it was obviously still light outside. And. I couldn't see the screen. I was like, this is horrible. Where did you watch it? Downstairs. Oh, well, you got to finagle like, the curtains. Yes. Yeah. So once, once I figured out that situation, I, I restarted it. I, I spent like the first five minutes of the movie. I was like, oh, man, th I, this looks terrible. I, I can't see anything. So I restarted it after I had uh, reconfigured the lighting situation. It was much better. So, I mean, yeah, from that standpoint, it was fine. And, you know. I don't think it would have altered my viewpoint of the film. Now, again, I'm not saying that I did not enjoy this. I will say that this was an easy watch. I mean, hour it flew by. Like, I had to pee with 20 minutes left in the movie. I was like, oh, I only got 20 minutes left in the movie. Because Conjuring 2, I think, is like two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, it it's be. long. This one, I think, is like an hour 50, hour 45 runtime. Yeah. yeah, so... It, it it breezes through. There's not a whole lot of fat on this thing, but not everything. Just the story. Well, here, here, let me run through it and then yeah. you can uh, stop yeah. me anywhere. Let's do that. Um, So the Conjuring 3. The thing I loved about the Conjuring is one, James Wan is a great director and he always brings something, some interesting camera language here. And in the first one, what I loved that he did narratively was he gave an ending to the uh, ghost story. Like he ended it with an exorcism, which I think is a great way to end. Usually what kind of pitters out in a horror movie is when we're dealing with the haunting. Cause you know, the whole buildup is the ambient horror element where it's like, what's going on. And then once you figure it out, you're like, okay, what are we going to do about it? And then it's done that movie. There was action left to ha be had. Um, in The Conjuring 2, my favorite thing that he did, besides his camera work and lighting just getting even better, was he, he did the thing that I always wanted in a movie, in a ghost story particularly, where it's 
how come they don't call the police or like why can't the government get involved and help and it's like they have no fucking answer and in part two they have that great moment where the police come in and the chair moves across the floor and they're like goodbye and it's just like yeah they they don't have an answer here it's a domestic problem loved it now in this one i'm like i don't i don't know what else he can do he's kind of written the book here and uh of course it was not directed by james wan yeah it was uh what's his name michael caves or what's his name michael how do you pronounce that probably chavis chavis yeah um i think he's a first time director i mean we could look at that right now or chavez chavez yeah that's probably it no he's done nine other movies uh four of them are shorts five no more it doesn't matter the directing wasn't a huge downfall normally oh, when we you... did a billy eilish uh video video oh that that does mean something billy elijah billy elijah um it's not a huge it wasn't distracting that james wan didn't direct this movie even at times i was like maybe he had a hand in it but i don't think he did he produced it um this film, we follow, uh, you know what? It was missing some classic James Wan jump scares, dude. Now, I made a prediction. I, d- I went in this movie not knowing anything. I thought the bar was going to be low, and I, I said, this might be the werewolf movie where they talk about 48 demons being in a body, and Ed and Lorraine Warren like clearly had jumped the shark You know, when I looked back. By the way, we'll circle back. Um, do you know our boy released that werewolf movie that's available now? Oh, he did. Yeah, it's out. I've been meaning to watch it for weeks. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I who's our boy? You're talking barge people. Yeah, barge people. Wait, what? Why? Why did that come up out of nowhere? You said werewolf. Oh, and, I, and then it's been in my queue. I was like, oh, it released the heat. It's in your queue zone. Out. Okay. What is the? Can you look up the name of the werewolf movie? I want to watch Charlie it. Charlie Steeds is who we're referring to. Yeah, and um, the, you know, the twenty-year-old who made forty-two movies already, and they're not bad. What is a uh, werewolf in England? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's out. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, this film is actually in America and I made a couple predictions. Now the Warrens, I, uh, now they are both, uh, deceased RIP. Oh, they're both gone. They do have a YouTube channel, however, and they're always on it. So now that the film is out, they, uh, released an old interview they did that I pulled a bunch of clips for, and, uh, I'm going to link that in the show notes, but I wanted to play a couple of them here because it answers my prediction. Um, I'm going to play one. We're going to spend some time with the secrets of uh, the supernatural, and then uh, we'll work through it. I'm going to chop them up. Here we go. Welcome to Secrets of the Supernatural. I'm your moderator, Tony Spera, along with Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren. Tonight, we're going to speak of a fascinating case that happened right here in Connecticut, the Brookfield Demon Murder Case, which was also made into a book that we have here. And also made into a movie of the week called The Demon Murder Case. <laughs> I know. The Bookfield Demon Murder Case? I think they did a good job changing the title of this film to uh, Devil Made Me Do It. But uh, I just wanted to play that just to give you a little, a little hint of the quality of the interview they're doing here. Yeah. I think they would find people who are very open to uh, their ideas. Now, um, and Lorraine, if you're not familiar with them, like the real people... Lorraine is she's much more eloquent and calculated and she's really good at kind of pitching what they do without sending like like a wacko Ed not so much um so I got a little bit of that but I wanted to so this film is a procedural that I would call an Indiana Jones procedural and the B story here is that uh some murders happened 
and Ed and Lorraine believe that there was a possession involved, and now their 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 job is now to convince a jury that this is true and to get an innocent person off. They have a brief moment where they're talking to a defense attorney, and she's like, "If you guys can't convince me, how are you going to convince twelve other people?" Where Ed answers, "Why don't you come over to our house and I'm going to invite you to Annabelle?" Now. That will either make you cringe, roll your eyes, or cheer. We got all of those in the theater, which our theater was very fucking active. A lot of children, a lot of running around. I'll tell you, it made me very happy. After that, like, little- Children? Those many children. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I, you know what, though? I fucking welcomed it. I was just like, let's have fun. As long as the kids aren't terrified and traumatized, which they might be. But um, right after the Annabelle thing, we cut right to uh, the defense attorney in court looking shocked. And uh, we're in it. The, the, the B story, which is the procedural, we don't waste a lot of time here. So if that's a turnoff for you, don't let it uh, dissuade you. Anyway, here's a little bit of Ed talking about the real case. You know, the judge, if the judge had let us bring in our evidence, which were yeah. recordings, yeah. photographs, eyewitness accounts, and the priests. The priests were waiting outside of the courthouse in Danbury, Connecticut, to go into that courthouse. Testify? And testify that what occurred to this young boy and Arnie Johnson was indeed diabolical possession. But I could understand the judge's feelings, too. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to be known as the judge who allowed the devil made me do it case into his courtroom. Now, why wouldn't they let his evidence in? Right. It seems important. It's definitely pertinent to like getting an innocent person off. Right. Dan Barry, they seem like they probably don't denounce God there. Like, give them a platform. Like, what harm could it be to hear it? Now, I'm not a, I'm not a prosecuting attorney or a you know, defense. So, I don't know. Maybe there's some legal stuff going on there. In the movie, they make a big moment out of, you know, every time we start a court case, you swear on the Bible. They acknowledge God. It's time we acknowledge demons. Now, earlier, I made a prediction that we got a werewolf and 48 demons in this little boy. Uh, David uh, Glatzel is the kid's real name. Played by Julian uh, Hilliard. Hilliard, great job! I love that little kid. I'll watch him in a million movies. Um, wanted wanted more of him. Me too. The movie it the movie never got past the opening scene for me. That is fair. That's a fair. It's so strong at the beginning. Yeah, and well, in the beginning of the movie, it's very Conjuring one and two, and then it's a complete departure. We're doing something completely different after yeah. that. Um. But here, before before we go more it in the gets movie, it's really savvy too. It does, but they all do. They all had that. But this one seemed more. Um, now place your bets. Do you think uh, I was correct that in the real case there was a werewolf and uh, forty eight demons? I remember what I guessed. Um, if you do think that it was in that ballpark, do you think I went over or under? Maybe plus or minus a under. werewolf. So you think I under I undersold it? Yeah. All right, Randy, you got a bet. Over. Okay, you think I went over. All right, here we go. Uh, I got Ed talking about the actual possession here. Is this a picture of him? Yes. What's he's he's out of possession. Okay, he's crying and he's holding on to his mother. That now, is what he would do, Tony, all the time. Would you say, in your professional opinion, that he was possessed by a devil or a demon or what, what would it be exactly? He was possessed by devils. Devils, so it's plural. And I should have set it up properly. They brought slides to this interview, which on YouTube, you can see them. They're, so they're looking at pictures. And I believe later on in there, they actually have audio from the scene. 
But uh, here we go. Let me actually play the payoff. Tony, that was one of the most frightening evenings of my life. There was not one devil. There were 43 of them. 43 which devils. came to me as a kaleidoscope, as if you were watching one horrible face after another. And remember, I was in that study by myself. I'll say, what did you do? What, what, what happened? What did you do? If it was me, I think I'd have ran out. What did you well, do? Well, I have to be honest with you. I was just stunned. I couldn't move. I was watching. It happened very quickly. And as I watched it, it was like a kaleidoscope of horrible faces coming to me. I knew that I had no power up against this. I felt it was one devil, mm-hmm. and which they called the beast. But when I seen over 40 of them, I knew that we were dealing with the hierarchy of the diabolical world. The hierarchy of the diabolical world. The overlook hour. And again, uh, Randy is correct. I went over. It was only 43 demons minus a werewolf. I would have figured he was said, I, John, there were 227 <laughs> demons inside this young child. No, here's the thing. When you watch the video of them talking, they never get like, they never have that like Rush Limbaugh, Alex Jones kind of like larger than life. Yeah. They're very like chill and. I don't know. I but get why are people they would buy scumbags. It. I don't. I don't know. I think the fact that I want to defend them is proof that they're great scumbags. I again, mom, if you're listening, I I apologize. I know you love these people, and I know there's a large community of. But you can fans. like you can like grifters and scumbags. I know, but a lot of the people that do can't acknowledge that both cannot be true. Like a loving couple it, that you know fight demons. Hey, man, I'm on board. Okay, but I've actually, I mean, you know, the fact, look, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are two beautiful people. Oh, yeah. And Lorraine Warren, not two beautiful people. No, Vera did look a lot more Lorraine in this movie. I, Patrick I, Wilson doesn't look like Ed Warren's neighbor. He looks like Hollywood Ed. He really does. Also, just to be fair, um, I'm going to put that whole video up on uh, the post show notes thing. But Lorraine does say some weird shit every now and then. And here's a really quick one of her. When he woke up this morning, that his pillow was soaked with blood. Now, the blood that she's speaking of is called an apport through teleportation. <laughs> I, just... I thought that was a great example of her just being like subtle. Like they woke up and the pillow was covered in blood. And it's like there's a lot of reasons that could happen. I remember in X-Files that haunted me is Scully starts bleeding out of her ear. And it's like, oh, what the aliens do? And it turns out she had cancer, which is terrifying whether or not the UFOs are real. And here comes Ed. It turns out it was a portal to hell. I don't know what the hell he says at the end there, but it sounds like gibberish. Um, so, Clark, you mentioned in the beginning of the movie, it kind of like peaks, it plateaus early for you. And what you're articulating is probably the fact that it turns into a fucking Indiana Jones adventure from there. Yeah. We literally have a map. I mean, we might as well have yarn going from thumbtack to thumbtack. Um, what happens is that we're doing an exorcism, much like part one and two. And during it, Ed is the only one that notices that uh, the uh, son, David uh, Galetz, Galetzel, I always, that's a weird name. Um, he's, a, he's a little boy who's possessed. And his sister's boyfriend grabs him at some point during the mayhem and offers the demon to take him. Now he does this because Patrick Wilson had a heart attack. And yes. And Patrick Wilson or Ed Warren is the only one that catches this moment. Now post possession, everybody thinks it's good and it's done. 
and he goes right to the hospital. They put a heart stint in him and he's kind of out. And Lorraine, who has clearly come into her dark Phoenix powers at this point, is just like a powerful psychic in this movie. Yada, yada, yada. She's crawling under the house and we get rats. Now, I'm telling you, me and Oksana, uh, we're, we're okay. We, we can handle a rat on screen. We did see this movie with Terrell, however, who when a rat, a, he's a dude who picks up a uh, Pokemon plushie and goes, oh, it's the new Pokemon. And he looks at it. And he realizes it's not a Pokemon. It's just a rat plushie screams in the Michael and Michaels and throws it. He was not doing very well with one little rat. Then we uh, were crawling through the house, which is mostly clean under it. And we find a uh, heavy plastic separating an area. We move that plastic aside. Rats galore. We are straight up in Indiana Jones territory where we're moving through like these plagues. Like I believe Indiana Jones was snakes, rats, bugs. Yeah. And uh, dude, it's good. I thought everything was shot really well. There's a burlap sack on the floor. We open it up. And of course, what did you think was in that bag? Under the house? Yeah. No idea. You did no clue. No, yeah. you didn't think it was like a severed head or something more I, like. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew they were looking for something, but I was like, "What would they be looking for?" It's like demon stuff. So I was yeah, right. That's all. Maybe a skull or something. This exactly, and it it turns out to be a, uh, a totem. Cult, a cult has put a totem there, or I don't even know if that's the right way to put. It. There's a totem under the house. Okay, but that that went nowhere. What do you mean? I the. the culmination of of why she was doing that okay so hold on so there's a totem on the house she takes pictures which is one of my favorite moments of that movie yeah just being under the house in the crawl space taking pictures of a totem also if you play tabletop games that was clearly a sinkhole of evil and of i love course. of course and i love how the rats were drawn to it that's the kind of world building i like where when you do something like fucking evil like weird elements of plague start showing up or you know under your waterbed you start getting rotting wood it's like, I love that, by the way, where they're like, oh, we had to cover it up with the rug because there was water damage. And they pull it back and they're like, that's not water damage. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, that's demon it's, damage. It's the devil. And so they find the talisman. They bring it to the police department who helped them triangulate where other symbols like this had been found. And then we're off to the races, man. We're doing Indiana Jones. Lorraine Warren's flying around. She's using her psychic abilities to help the police out. Yeah, we get the the worst scene in the movie is the one in the in the trailer where they run and we're in the slender man woods where a girl tricks another girl and then she jumps off a cliff. Yeah. Spoiler. Also, I should have mentioned earlier, I'm going to spoil this movie. Randy's going to put a nice little mark up top so you can skip this whole thing, hopefully before now. And uh, that was the worst part of the movie. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, okay, dude. So they figure it out. Randy, it's not a possession, dude. Somebody cursed these people. Dude, this, it, like, we're not thinking outside the box. We've destroyed the box now. We've just opened up a whole world of possibilities. We're like, wait, we're bringing in magic now? Or at least, like, I don't know, channeled invocations or some shit. And it, it was great because she didn't know what to do. She's like, what the fuck do you do with the curse? So we introduce a character who's like a fallen father who started investigating cults undercover, and he's living in a bar and he's living the simple life. Well, when you say fallen father, you mean both uh, of the cloth and of the actual yeah. um, fathering a child. Yes. And which we learn later. He's got the face only a villain could love. Oh, man. And you're like, who is this motherfucker? He's terrifying. 
and John Noble. And he's an interesting character because he brings brings her in and he's just like, yeah, you know, I investigated here. Come down. And he's got his own and Lorraine like collection, except his collection is like it's the the extra evil. version. And Lorraine's like, I don't want to go down. She's there. like, I don't want to go down there. And then they walk in and he's like, you might not want to read any of these books. And it's so he's got like a human skull in like a little like display case. He's got like snakes and jars and it's so fucking cool. He's got the coolest wizard library now in the whole Conjuring universe. And I'm talking the nun, all three Annabelle movies, uh, the crooked man. If that ever fucking happens, he's got the best wizard library and he helps them out a little bit. Anyway, yada, yada, yada. There's a beautiful scene in a morgue where a zombie, a fat zombie is, uh, brought to life by the uh the witch who's hexing people and i love this kind of shit in a horror movie where you take something as dumb as a zombie fucking zombies suck dude and honestly if there was that dude here and he was undead we'd be dead we couldn't we couldn't down that guy and they really like they managed to capture that also because we're dealing with the witch here it, we literally have a psychic battle going on between good and evil uh, Lorraine Warren. We get a lot of illusions in the film. And I thought that was a really interesting visual change. Like, it's a departure from one and two. I mean, the climax of this movie is uh, post-heart attack Ed, who's kind of hobbled, is armed with a sledgehammer, gets hit with pocket sand from the evil witch, yeah. and starts trying to kill Lorraine Warren. Yeah, But he's having delusions, and he's just like, He's going ham with that sledgehammer. I th- dude, I thought it was great. And how she brought his, she's like, she thought our love was our weakness, but it's our strength. Dude, you don't like endings like that? I, I mean, look, you know, you know what my first thought was? My first, Psycho Gorman. My first thought was, ugh. Then my second thought was, you know what? If I wrote this, I'd be happy with it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it is kind of stomach churning. But it's also kind of endearing. I don't know. Oksana, here, I'm going to turn on your mic. Give us a women's perspective on the uh, mushy ending of uh, The Conjuring 3. The devil made me do it. I hate how effective it is for me. There you <laughs> go. stupid love story part of it. It's <laughs> Go ahead. Cry on mic. I it's be- good. I begrudgingly think it's very, like, I don't know, sweet. All right. Your mic's off. Now. It is sweet. But again. They're scumbags. <laughs> Are they? I mean, is propaganda really propaganda if the people... It's, they're con artists. But they're putting them on the pedestal. They're dead. I know they're both... That's, that's the thing. It's like, these are, these are swindling con artists. I don't know. However, this is America. And this is what <laughs> we were built on. I'm I, not saying I have a problem with it. I'm just saying, let's know what we're dealing with here. And, you know, we do deal with like faux documentary a lot and like just documentary as a medium, which inherently is very manipulative. Propaganda is a word that's a neutral word. And I think if propaganda for like love, man, I'll take that over some fucking Trump propaganda or something like give me some more like I love you. I don't even care what the fucking genders are. Just a happy ending. I'm on board. Um, we, we win this day with us taking a sledgehammer to the brazier that was uh, homing the incantations that were hexing people. Also, that was a hell of a knock he gave that desk. I know. Dude, you could feel the impact. I don't, man, I fucking dug this movie. Um, Oksana, am I missing anything? I know I kind of ranted about this when we were playing D&D. I like Patrick Wilson. Well, I mean, I, th- I think he did a good job. 
the Indiana Jones thing. I feel like I'm missing a big part. Do you know who, uh, you know, Patrick Wilson's a metalhead. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. You know what his favorite band is? What? Ghost. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, you both, you know what? He's cooler than a casual person, but you would lose like street cred if you came out with like a ghost back patch. He, he's, he talked about that too. Where, where is that? Look, okay. I pull a bunch of clips. I for think it was show. on Opie and Anthony. Why don't you? What? <laughs> <laughs> Can you like help me out here? Yeah. All right. Ignore the audience. They don't need to hear this. Yes. We got to make the show better. If you got clips of fucking our boy, Hollywood Ed Warren. This was years ago. I forgot where I heard him talk about it. It was a podcast or it was on Opie and Anthony and he was talking about uh, love and metal. And someone asked him what he's into now. He's like, you know what? I'm really into a band called Ghost. And he said, it does. It's not too hard. It's always like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> but he said, you know, I listened to it for a scene. I mean, early Ghost though, the whole idea was there needs to be like uh, Morrissey style satanic music. Because if you're really going to be like, oh, we have a church of Satan, yeah, it should be like gospel, like kind of catchy, and you know, bring people in, yeah. corrupt them. And they nailed that. And early on, you would get like points for it. So thank you for okay. We could we could go back to the show. And also, everyone thought Dave Grohl was in it. Yeah. Did it turn out he wasn't? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it doesn't matter. They're all nameless ghouls, baby. Well, they've changed singers like nineteen times. Yeah, which is part of the appeal. I mean, if you learn Latin to do interviews, <gasps> I'm down. Don't let the baseball game interrupt. That now, Clark, good. I have to say, Clark's been doing a great job. He's been watching a baseball game the whole time. Which is why I had like the ability to ramble for a half hour about the Conjuring Three. I greatly appreciate that. Thank you, Clark. Oh, you know what? Three and a half stars. The B story. I forgot. We get a little bit of our kid in jail. Of our. Oh, you know what I want to mention? I forget that. The procedural is great. Um, one of the main important things: Conjuring One and Two, single location. And in our interview today, we talk about how multiple locations can really like change the feel of a film conjuring three is the only one where we have set pieces all over the fucking place we're under a house we're in a barn we're in the woods we're in a jail we're in um uh a dog kennel in that we're now, in a car now uh the dude who took on the 43 demons in this movie which in the movie it's only one uh he is living with his girlfriend in her workplace where she's working for a drunk dude who apparently takes care of a bunch of dogs. Oh yeah. And uh, this dude, all he wants to do is fucking party. He just wants to party, man. He's got Blondie queued up on his new stereo system and he's just banging that shit out. He's trying to peer pressure everybody into drinking bud with him. And my God, it was like, I want to party with that dude. Like I have, he made Blondie cool again in a movie, which I didn't think could happen. And this is also the first moment where we get the visual manipulation. So he's, he's in there dancing with the dude's girlfriend. He's like, come on, dance with me, and then we'll turn it off. And our, our homie here is getting the 43 demons. Are, they're whispering to him. They're telling him things. But he doesn't know that. So he's looking over, and they're kind of dancing like they're, they're into each other. He's starting to get fucking angry. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Dude turns into Rat Man. There's a great shot of a vanishing point perspective down the kennels. Uh, we get a charging, we get a 22 stab victim, and we're off to the races. Movie's great. A plus. Actually, I don't know. I'd probably give it four and a half. It's high. <laughs> Very high. <laughs> were you not high when you watched it? I was not high. 
there's your problem. You weren't in a theater. You weren't high, and you didn't have. Actually, that's not true. You were high. I, I, yeah, I was high. Okay, I'd only be mad if you were in a theater and you just didn't want to see the movie with us. I will tell you, we had copious amounts of popcorn. Uh, there were forty-eight trailers before this movie. Somehow, Oksana still managed to miss the first minute of the film, getting her third bag of popcorn. <laughs> And uh, halfway through it, she was like, I got too much popcorn. <laughs> Welcome. We finished all of our. I got a small. That was my mistake. And a small kettle corn. Gone before the movie started. Yeah. But, dude, the trailers were fucking aggressive. And you know, we're doing a new thing, Clark. Mm. Get a small popcorn. Mm-hmm. Get a small bag of hot Cheetos. Mm. You let them do a little lovemaking in the theater. I don't hate that. It's fucking good. I tell you, I, my favorite thing is is to get uh, half buttered and half kettle corn. They, I, I, don't I know like about that. that. I like the salty and the sweet. The spicy could work, but I I like that salty sweet more. I'll tell you, when Oksana went back for the third bag of popcorn, she got a second bag of Cheetos. Yeah, that's how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Randy, you haven't watched any of the Conjuring's. I think I watched the first one. When I said I don't think I've seen the last couple, I meant all the like spin-off ones. Yeah, two two is solid, but like two is like a big it two is like hey, Yeah. Yeah. It's with this is a big thing now. It's very like poltergeist equivalent. Yeah. yeah. Uh two is like the magnum opus. Two is two hours and fifteen minutes long. Um three is fine. Now, again, I do, I realize I like weird world building and I like the introduction of like, I like the way they change it up with the curse and everything. This movie was very made for me and I totally understand why people wouldn't like it. I say I didn't like it. It's just, again, when you open that strong and then you close with what we (laughs) closed with. It was a good ending. It was fine. What, did you want something spooky? Yeah. All right, here you go. Thank you. <laughs> also, I I did enjoy the uh, the waterbed. Scare. Waterbed was good. Waterbed and was you, good. I did not go over everything. I did kind of like ruin all the plot points, but you should still go see this movie in a theater. The kid was great. I'll tell you on Instagram. Oh man, we were. Uh, this is a little mean, and I'm sorry. You know, I'll do better in the future. But we were in the theater. We were in the lobby. We're just really inhaling all the aromas, all the. All the popcorn smells, all the icy. We're getting all the stimulation that you can only get in a theater. Sure. And yet we were still on our phone. And yet we were making fun of people in our feed who were watching the movie at home and posting about it like it was something to brag about. Do better, people. I didn't post at all. I know. And I enjoyed it on the futon. (laughs) (laughs) Do better. We need to support movies. Go out there. It's fun. And I, I will briefly mention... The kids in the theater, they were fucking maniacs. What about the kids in the hall? Oh, the movie terrified people. I should say, we had the whole back of our theater. They were doing the nervous laughter. Really? Yeah. And it was kind of like, at first, I'm like, am I going to get mad about this? I'm like, no, I love it. It was, it crushed. Too scared me. I got nothing out of this. this well, one I mean, I was entertained. Where did you watch too? We watched it together at the, at the Alamo. Oh, my God. That's where the ghosts are. Dude. And like the smallest theater. You remember when they yeah. packed that thing out? I also remember the music was so loud that the walls were shaking. Yeah. And the ta- How was it in your room? You okay. got shaking was tables? It in my or- room. I- 
you got a good setup down there. Yeah, but you like to the listen. set. Yeah. Let me tell you something right now. The setup you have down there is better than they got at the four star. Oh, that's fair. Although Thank we do you. love the four star. It's fine. <laughs> You've never been there. I know it. I know. <laughs> All right. Enjoy our interview with Matt. We have a good time. We hope he had a good time. <laughs> That'll be evident when you listen. Randy, you got any closing words? None. Expected. Enjoy the show. How's, how's Philly these days, Matthew? It's good. We, uh, my wife and I just moved here in December from Brooklyn. Um, so we're getting, we're starting to get the lay of the land, but, uh, but so far so good. Oh, wow. What, what brought you down to Philly? Uh, we couldn't afford Brooklyn anymore. Uh, do it. <laughs> Damn. So we, we went to, I actually, I, I got a job that's a little closer to Philly than Brooklyn, but, uh, it really was, we were like priced out. Um, so yeah. All right. Yeah, man, that's a that's a common story. You know, both coasts. I feel like. Yeah, totally. Where are you guys located? I know you're West Coast, but yeah, we're we're in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh hell yeah! Uh, my wife works there part of the time. Uh, she she lives in the Mission for like uh, about like a third of the year. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, wait. You moved from Brooklyn because of the rent, but your wife lives out here <laughs> for a third of the year. How the hell do you wing that? I mean, she has to for uh, for her job, so they uh, they like provide housing and shit for her. Wow. Uh, yeah, so she's she's hooked up. That's rad, and on mission too. Man, when it was bad out here, mission was like yeah, it was the joke I would tell people. Like we were training people for a workout in Texas, and they'd be like, hey, "You could come rent a three bedroom house out here for four fifty a month," and be oh. like, "All right, let me show you a listing on mission, like fifty five hundred for a studio." Oh my god! Yeah. Well, well, Matthew, I also have to travel for a third of the year, but I'm located in North Phoenix, next to a rusted-out amusement park in a dead mall. <laughs> Dude, love it. <laughs> you should film something there. Oh god, I do not leave the hotel. <laughs> also, hi, Matt. I'm Oksana. <laughs> hi, Oksana. Nice to meet you. You too. All right. Don't then, get used to her. I'm turning her mic off. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then Randy, introduce yourself, and I promise we have no more people. I'm Randy. Hello. Hey, Randy. How's it going? There we go. Good. Make up creepy Clark. Nope. Okay. We're not going to intro him. All right. Uh, Matt, thanks for uh, hanging on. I'm trying to open up all the appropriate tabs so we can uh, be ready for this interview. I'm sure Randy's already recording. But you jumped in when we were talking about, yeah, what, LA Power Disco, a band called Cobra Man that we found on a uh, YouTube video because that's what we do all day. Same video. Yeah. That's awesome. I was actually listening to, I think it's like Ukrainian or Russian, like dance music that I got turned on to today. Uh, this band called Go A, Go underscore A. All right. Go their ahead. shit I'll, I'll is look. insane. Um, 100% yeah. be looking them up. <laughs> Arksana is our, our resident uh, Eastern blocker. After we watched Nobody, which has an amazing Russian pop song, I started like looking for more like yeah. Russian pop or mo- mostly 
90s, I guess, disco, Russian disco and stuff like that. Are you talking about the song that they play when he goes into the club and then the guy goes on stage? No, it's the one when he cuts up the other guy's face. <laughs> oh, yeah. the second song. <laughs> Matt, did you see Nobody? I did. I did see Nobody. Did you Did you think it's the best movie of all time like we all did? Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was good. It felt like a little John Wicky. Um but yeah, I mean, I love Odenkirk. Uh, he's, sure. he's like one of the greats. So yeah, I mean, I was entertained. I didn't think it like reinvented the wheel or anything. Oh. But yeah, it well, I mean, look, when you got a wheel, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it works. <laughs> no, it's a wheel. <laughs> but no, man, yeah, Odenkirk. It's just great. Odenkirk looked so good. He was yeah. incredible. I, yeah, yeah, that man's talented, man. It's all about crafting a villain in modern blockbuster movies, like. We people rely on tropes. So like when you watch like Mandalorian, you you see a can, uh, character walk on screen and you already know everything about him. Yeah. And in nobody, they did that in a way that I don't think has been applied properly in like action film. I love oh. that fucking villain so much. He was I. Yeah, that that one long shot, him walking through traffic is really all I care about. Yeah. Not giving a fuck about traffic is the coolest thing I've seen in film in a long time. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I mean, formally, the film is like there's so much to love about it. Um, like, I love the the fucking openings, so so incredible in terms of like setting up character and stuff. Um, it's like really, I mean, it's really kind of lovingly made, uh, which I really appreciate. Now, Matthew, do not yeah. come on here and pander to us. If you fucking <laughs> hate nobody, I want <laughs> you to die on that sword. No, I mean, I'm I'm the type of person where like even a movie, even if I hate a movie, I don't really hate movies. I, I like I think like I can find something that I love about almost any movie, even the the real kind of trash heap stuff. Because um, I, I mean, especially as a filmmaker, you know, you know how much work it takes to even make a stinker. Um, so I think it's it's just kind of like bad form to just like shit talk and hate on movies. Sure, yeah. you know, it's a community that makes those movies. You know what yeah, I mean? Totally. But we can always punch up. Everybody, sure. who made, everybody who made nobody, they got their money. Oh yeah, yeah. That yes, I I'm with you on there. <laughs> Punching up is one thing, but you know, when you're taking a shit on a micro budget movie, like, you know, come on. I'm not a huge fan of trauma. I don't come on here and rip trauma every day. Yeah, right. exactly. Nobody, I want you to rip nobody, Matt. <laughs> they they look, can take a hit. Look at it this way: if you came on here and you just roasted nobody. Like in a way nobody was prepared for. No, pardon the pun. Oh, oh thank you. I know unfortunate wording there. And then you know we just put a little clip on YouTube and that goes viral, dude. You're yeah. helping out the Peckhead crew. <laughs> yeah. You're actually helping the film community. So we yeah. need you to get mean today. Yeah, no, it's gonna be like I'm gonna start a war with Odenkirk. He's like, Who the fuck is this kid, <laughs> dude? That could only help you. <laughs> All right, Randy. I apologize. This will go good. I know Randy's a huge fan of yours. We're not going to burn this bridge, Randy. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Matt, we had uh, we had your buddy Nick on a few months ago, uh, and uh, I think we asked him way too many questions about Uncle Peckerhead uh, when he was on. And of course, you know, was talking about his film that we loved. um, It cuts deep. So, man, it's just it's great to have you here, man. Oh man, thanks for having me. Uh, and that's great. I, I totally, I think, I think I probably knew about that interview with Nick, but it totally escaped me. I didn't know that you guys interviewed Santos. That's awesome. Oh geez, well, that was uh, probably six, eight months. That was a while ago. Wow. Um, I think right whenever um, it cuts deep uh, came out, which was, mm-hmm. I feel like October. Oxana, does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. Probably yeah, the fall. Somewhere around yeah. that time. But um, yeah, so uh, it, it was just it was great to talk to him. 
and um, yeah, and and to have you on as well, uh, because again, we we talked a lot about Uncle Peckerhead uh, with Nick, and he shared with us what he could about the project. But um, and then like Randy, like Russell said, Randy's uh, Randy. This was on your uh, top five of the year, was that right? Shocker, I think so. Yeah. Whoa! Thank you, Randy. Um, <laughs> yeah. The mail. Now, see, Matt, what you don't know is that Randy is a recovering uh, dirtbag uh, punk kid, <laughs> you know, who spent a, a fair amount of uh, time uh, touring these states united um, in a van not dissimilar to that um, of duh. Uh, you know, Randy, you know, has his own journey. He committed, you know, various petty crimes. Um, you <laughs> Steals know, toothpaste. That's right. Uh, throws away his underwear. Assaulted the homeless and robbed them. <laughs> oh, God. Randy, let me know when I'm out of line. <laughs> Randy, you're good. I didn't assault any homeless, but yeah, I, I did uh, commit petty theft a couple times. No, no, Clark, you got that wrong. The homeless almost assaulted him in front of the Roxy. That makes way yeah, more sense. So, sorry, more Randy. Uh, but Matt, uh, are, are you were you are you a punk kid? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like since I was probably like uh, 12, 13 years old. Uh, I was like really into punk music, played in bands. Um, like, you know, every week I went to shows. I still, I mean, obviously things are just opening back up now, but even, you know, a year ago I was still going to shows pretty frequently. Um, so this is definitely like, you know, it's part of my Venn diagram of like identity is like, you know, growing up in, in listening to punk music. Are you still in a band? No, that's like one of the things that like my wife, uh, who's a really talented musician uh, in this house, we just kind of are setting up We're we're trying to get a, a, a space in our basement to kind of set up a, a, a studio to kind of get back into music. But I haven't I haven't been in a band probably in like a decade, which is kind of sad. Now, what subsection of, of punk were you? I mean, dude, I was like everywhere. Um, I, I was, I was like, uh, I was a pretty open-minded kid. So like I, I, the, the, the kind of gateway stuff was I was really into kind of like hardcore punk music, like minor threat, bad brains, black flag, stuff like that. But then I, I transitioned and got really into like, like the epitaph fat record stuff. Um, and I mean, like all ilks, I can get really into kind of like real poppy punk. I really like kind of like, uh, you know, like thrashy, hardcore and punk stuff. Um, so I'm like an equal opportunity, uh, punk kid, I would say. I went through a ska phase. Did that do anything for you? (laughs) Dude, I I swear to God, I just made a ska playlist, uh, on Spotify. Cause I, I actually, one of the first bands I was ever in was a ska band. And, uh, I, I mean, I love, I still love that shit. I was just playing a specials record with a buddy of mine, uh, the other day. So yeah, I mean, I, ska too, throw it all in. Let me I met rephrase, a- Christian ska. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Like what, who, who are like planet smashers? I think they were Christian ska. It, uh, the Orange County Supertones. Yes. Supertones. I remember uh, Five Iron Frenzy. Yep. Absolutely. These were yeah. the heavy hitters. Yeah, I know all those bands. Yeah, Five Iron Frenzy. I think I th- mm-hmm. Orange County Supertones. I believe was on Tooth and Nail Records. Yes, and I I, I got into them. Yeah, the Tooth and Nail had a bunch of. Uh, I mean, the, this wasn't a ska band, but MXPX were on that. Mm-hmm. They were on that label, and they were kind of like Christian adjacent, if not a Christian band. Um, yeah, no, that that is my childhood. Is like all that shit, dude. Tooth and Nail Records. Yeah, they named themselves after a Dawkins song. <laughs> I'm sorry, I saw a way in here. 
I don't know Planet Smashers, so Look, we've connected it all. And, and Russell, you was is our resident metalhead. I was one of the guys that got a uh, you know um, shamefully portrayed in your film. Yeah, if I was cool enough to have a car when I was doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> a Honda, no. Wait, hold on. Five Iron. What? What the? There's Five a, Iron Frenzy. That is a golf reference, right? Well, Five Iron is a club. What? There's a is the Venn diagram of golf, ska, and Christianity. <laughs> it's 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 bigger than you think. It I is. think I just figured you out. <laughs> well, please tell me. You're right in the middle there, dude. I I am shocked at how many bands y'all named between the two of you. I don't. I couldn't. Have, does Smash Mouth count? Are they ska? They're like they're like uh what 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 kind of shit are they? They're like um yeah they have ska they have like they, they have like that guitar upstroke so they're like if you yeah. could if you could make Guy Fieri into music yeah. it would be the yeah. it would be them I like Guy Fieri surf rock yeah, that's right I like I like how Matthew's like what kind of shit are they? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're from San Jose and we love them. We will die on that sword. Are them in train? Oh, train really? Tra- trains from San Francisco. Some hard hitters there. <laughs> I'm on that caboose. And Matt, did you ever do the, how were you on the straight edge hype? Uh, I mean, so I didn't, uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I never identified as straight edge, but I was a, like, I was a boy scout until I was like probably 18 or 19 years old. Um, but I did like had X's on my hands and like, I was never part of that, like that gang of kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, I loved Minor Threat um, and a bunch of bands that identified as like straight edge, like H2O and stuff like that. Um, but it was never my bag. It's like, you know, that thing. Uh, I never wanted to be a part of a club that that wanted me as a member. Randy, you want to weigh in? Counter argument. Uh, <laughs> you you chose correctly. <laughs> now, I was straight edge for a really long time. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I was into all the same same type of bands, Minor Threat and uniform choice was really into like all that kind of like positive punk yep. hardcore stuff um growing up i mean i listened to like a lot of new york hardcore too like sick of it all but totally. more into like the positive stuff yeah but yeah. i broke edge like four years ago oh how does it feel it's good yeah i got a uh yeah you know i have a drink here and there but um you know don't don't go too crazy yeah, yeah. he's that, ruined his life man. That, that's what happens when you get a <laughs> Spotify account, start listening to Rogan. But when Randy, but when Randy broke edge, he broke edge like he's like, "Hey man, I'm taking shrooms now." Hey <laughs> man, he he took shrooms and you know went to go see a Nazi film, but done by talents Terrence Malick. So that's you know. true. I did skip marijuana. <laughs> Just went straight for the psychedelics. I love it. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> All right. All right. So let let's um. So Matt, walk us through. Uh, how this project started? How how did Uncle Peckerhead become yeah. a creation? Um, so I had been trying to get a project off the ground for like two years, um, and we had like two actresses attached. Uh, it was it was kind of like a meta slasher movie, but we needed a a, a sizable budget compared to Peckerhead, so we needed like at least a, a few hundred thousand dollars, and we came very close to like securing it, getting it made. And it fell through and I was really like kind of devastated because we had spent kind of two years trying to get this, this thing made. 
And so then I, I kind of made this decision that I wanted to make a movie where I knew we could make it. I knew we could cobble together the money and I, I had the connections and the resources. So I kind of started thinking about who, like a friend's family, kind of my orbit, who I could poach uh, in terms of like, you know, relying on favors and stuff like that. And my brother's also really into the music scene. Uh, he was he was booking at this venue called House of Independence, uh, which is uh, where kind of the, the third act of the movie happens. And my friend Jeff, who's in the movie, we wanted to work on something together. Uh, so I really wanted to incorporate music. And Jeff and I always would like kind of trade war stories from being on tour. Um, so I kind of took a bunch of ideas, like the actual idea of Peckerhead was I had kind of a bunch of ideas swimming around. I wanted to make a movie that kind of depicted my experiences on tour and the experiences of, of my friends when we would kind of tell stories about, you know, what it was like kind of being a DIY band. And then I had had this idea that I was trying to pitch to Adult Swim that was like a it was kind of like a, a 90s sitcom. I always described it as kind of like a punk rock full house with the redneck Mr. Belvedere. Um, <laughs> it was like, there was no horror element. It was just going to be kind of like a throwback, kind of weird. It was never, it was never explained why this hillbilly tweaker was with these punk kids in this house. So I had had that idea. I wanted to do, do these tour experiences and I'd been producing and I, I've always been really into horror. I'd like the, the few shorts I'd made up until that point were, were mostly horror. Um, so I, my wife, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, we went to this film festival with, uh, one of the, the films I had produced of Nick's called Holiday Fear. And of all the features we saw at this festival, the festival was great, but none of the features were kind of the fun midnight movie type of thing that I, I really wanted to get at a festival. So on like the last night, I forget what movie we watched, but it was like a really self-serious horror movie. And I was just like, and those are great, like in, in moderation. Um, but I, we kind of were drinking and I was like, man, I want to make like an insanely fun, like, uh, kind of like midnight horror comedy. And that's kind of where it started is I, I just kind of like took the, all of these like ingredients of, you know, wanting to make a story about touring and having this adult swim kind of premise, uh, you know, this kind of like dynamics between these, these three or four characters, um, and just started thinking about what favors I could call in over like a decade's worth of time. And, you know, within six months, I basically had the script for Peckerhead locked. Um, and we were, we were ready to go. Now I, I was reading, um, a lot of reviews of uncle Peckerhead and first congratulations. People like fucking love the movie. Oh, dude. It's, and- it, it, it's wild. I can't believe it. Dude. It. But you know what? I'm I'm gonna I have to agree with the AV Club. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're gonna reference from the AV Club, but that was like one of the most uh, passive aggressive positive reviews I've ever I, read. And you know what? It really read to me as just like fucking honest too. And I don't yeah. love the AV Club, but they they put out an article. It says, "Hold on, a film named Uncle Peckerhead is actually good." And I, I, dude, I don't know why in 2020, I had that hurdle where, um, like Clark was really into a movie called butt boy. Oh yeah. I I mean, that's part of the, like, we both got the, we were both distributed by the same company. Dude, do you know how hard it is for me to, to watch a movie called butt boy? And it's not that I don't watch like fun shit. Yeah. Also fun is kind of a hurtful word. And I'm sure like, uh, 
everybody here who's a musician, when your music or like, we, we had a film programmer out here who used to work at the Alamo, and he would always describe his punk band uh, back east as being reviewed as, it looks like they're having fun up there. And he said, I've never heard words so hurtful. <laughs> and, you know, and I don't mean it that way. I mean, fuck, man, I'm a horror fan and horror comedies just they don't often land. And it really took pushing for Clark to get me to watch Butt Boy. But I did it. I think actually, I think we ended up booking the director and it was like, OK, yeah, I got to watch it. And then I fucking loved it. Yeah. And then yeah. Randy. Now, Randy is. You know, Randy chimes in every now and then. He's the engineer. Uh, we wouldn't have a show without him putting it together. And he watches foreign films all day. Randy, who might be moving, <laughs> just threatened. He said, I need to get my copy of Transit back before I leave. <laughs> yeah. That's a film that he described as what? Echoes of Vertigo? Yes. So mm. when Randy's like, I, dude, I like this movie Uncle Peckerhead. <laughs> we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And again, he, it did make his top five. So. Dude, I'm telling you, I went in there and, uh, man, the title became a hurdle. I don't know. What, what did you... Well, the title for me uh, felt very close to home as the main character in the film said that uh, his father named him Peckerhead, and my father also called me Peckerhead. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's a Southern thing. Peckerhead. Yeah. Like, you said, well, you Peckerhead. Yeah. Wait, jump in there, Matthew. I'm I'm sorry. I was trying to like finagle that into a question, and I just had fun talking about it. <laughs> so the question is like, why did you name your film such a poor like why use such a poor title? Um, yeah, I mean, it, like, so it, it's crazy because the I mean that is kind of like an overriding sentiment I've heard is that like people hate the title or the title is like really tough. Um, it, it doesn't kind of like, you know, track with, uh, you know, the material in the movie or kind of the content that, that you end up getting. Um, and it's, it's weird. I mean, because I, like, I didn't hate it. Like I knew it was going to be, I mean, I just wanted a title that one was appropriate given, given the movie, um, but was also like kind of attention grabbing. And I didn't realize that people had such like an like a, a, an adverse reaction to the term peckerhead. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, I, it's not, it's not like in my vocabulary, my regular vocabulary, but I didn't realize that people found it to be such kind of like a, in, in a negative context, such a profane term. Um, and, and they thought that it was like, it was the bad type of lowbrow. Wait, hold Have on. Have you received a, a lot of pushback on the title? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, like, not, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, internet pushback. So like, I kind of, oh, you know, really? give, real. okay. you don't give a fuck about that really. But I, but yeah, I mean, it was surprising that people, cause I mean, there were, there were like, I've heard consistently, that's one of the consistent kind of like, uh, I guess like negative, negative kind of feedback I've gotten is that people are like, man, like that title is such a turnoff. And then thank God, like, like you guys said, like, you know, a buddy of mine or like my boyfriend or my girlfriend, like, you know, convinced me to watch it. And I was so glad I did. But the title like isn't helping you out. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's just like I, I hadn't thought about it. It's like one of those things that you're you're just so kind of like because there's certain things that you can anticipate people are going to kind of like take issue with. Um, at least for me, if you're really self-critical, um, which I, which I can tend to be. Um, but the Peckerhead thing, I, like, I figured that, you know, we weren't going to win over, you know, the, the can selection committee, but <laughs> now Matthew, I'm going to cut you off there, Yeah, now, but it was your choice, right? You made, you, you named it. Oh, totally. Yeah. All right. Now 
whatever whatever you were listening to, like stick with that. Yeah. Because what I now people are stupid and they don't really they don't critically think about anything. And it's not that Peckerhead is offensive. Who the fuck is offended by Peckerhead? Yeah. Nobody. And if they're if they're saying that, they're just trying to get more clicks on Pecker. Twitter. They're yeah, they're it's just adorable. You know, outrage is good content. So oh, yeah. fucking that's stupid. The reason I the reason it was a hurdle for me is because it was so clear that the movie knew what it was. And when we're dealing with horror comedy that's self-aware, oh my god, it can be the the hardest thing for me to watch. And I watch you know, you know it's a hobby of mine. Blindly watching movies on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Yeah. So I watch, I'm down there in the gutter with micro budget is my thing. And when you get like low level studio horror comedies that are self-aware, oh my God, it's really hard for me. So when I saw a movie titled Uncle Peckerhead, I thought, okay, this is going to be a movie where there's, uh, it's comedy central, like not yeah. the channel, but like it's mainly comedy. And then we might get a little bit of sprinkling of horror. Maybe there'll be a goofy zombie looking around. And I'll tell you, I think the title is why you have 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Because you come in there and you're kind of like, I already know what I'm getting into. And then you really don't. Because your movie has a lot of heart. And the story's good. And it's got like a, an, an antagonist that you actually end up kind of rooting for. I don't know, man. I, you nailed it. And... uh I, I felt kind of bad bringing up the title thing because I saw that you, you've clearly been dealing with this. <laughs> Let me just tell you, they're fucking stupid. People don't know why they don't like that title. And I don't know. I think it's, a, it's integral to the success of the film. So, I mean, good job naming it. Oh, thank you. I mean, it, it really means a lot that people, I mean, you guys and, and just in general, people have really responded to it. Um, it's, it still is like, it like now we're kind of like nine months out from it being released or 10 months or something like that. But it's still like, it, it still is kind of a shock that it, it like people have responded to the movie and, and have enjoyed it so much. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's just so fucking cool still to this but day. Also, like when we pull the curtain back and we look at this, you know, from a meta level. Right? Oh, here we go. Like. Is it naming your film Uncle Peckerhead the most punk thing that you could do? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, I should I should give examples. You know, it's a movie that I still haven't watched that people love. Mm. Anna and the Apocalypse. And yeah. the damn title. I'm like, oh, my God. It's a musical, Clark. You should probably check that out. People love that film. Or think of the Banana Split movie. Like, oh, that yeah. movie shouldn't have been good. And it's like, it, it or you know, you know what needed a goofy title? Was mm. Willy's Wonderland. That yeah. movie, it yeah. came in kind of self-serious, like Willy's Wonderland, and we get kind of like a Mandy-looking cover, and it really should have been goofier. There's some good songs in there. I'm, I'm, I think Uncle Peckerhead was the perfect title for the tone of that film. Oh, yeah. And it sneaks the heart in there, and it's fucking good. I, I don't know. I, you you want to know why I really love your movie. <laughs> that damn band that you had uh, uh, Nicholas D- in. Dominion Rising? Uh, Dominion Rising, yeah. Where did that come from? Did you write that song? Yeah, I mean, so Jeff wrote the music, but I wrote the lyrics. That was like a collab. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that was kind of, uh, I mean, just from being on tour, like you inevitably play with many Dominion Risings. Um, and, and you definitely, like, I can't tell you how many insufferable turds uh, by way of like a Shiloh type character um, you've just had to, you know, you just suffer through. Um, 
and you just, yeah, I mean, those guys are like, it's unfortunate, but those types are a dime a dozen. It might not be the same type of music. It might not be like that butt rock or that kind of like emo screamo um, stuff. Um, but there, there are so many, you know, every town has like a local band like that. But like now, now that you're sort of removed from that scene now, Matt, and like now when you look back on those years and you look back on those people, like, what are your feelings towards them now? Do you do you mean like do you kind of get it to where maybe you think of like maybe they realize that this is really it for them and they're just trying to milk whatever they can, milk whatever good experiences they can, and like let just let them have that time. Oh, to, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, it, like as a real answer, I, like, yeah, the older you get, the more you're just like, man, if it makes you happy, fucking go with it. Um, but the, I think like what, what I find so offensive about like that type of personality is it's not just, you know, cause like, I mean, I, I have like tons of friends that are, you know, and I mean this sincerely that are in bands that are not very good, but like, like we were kind of talking about at the beginning, you know, like when people say, but it looks like, you know, I see it brings them a lot of joy, you know, to play. Um, and I see that it's fun to go see them play. Cause like, you know, they really, they, you can see that they're touched by your support and you like to see your friends kind of having fun, even if it's not like it's something that I would listen to, you know, while I'm writing or just kind of like, you know, working out or whatever. Um, but those bands are offensive because they're like, they're such punishers, like to other bands and yeah. other people. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like when I think back in the day, um, yeah, like you, you, your vision kind of softens on those types. Um, but I was never like, I mean, if I didn't like a band, if they were really nice people, I mean, I, I love, I would say like, I love that band or I love those guys. Yeah. That's um, the big thing. Just be nice. And like, you'll yeah. work like exactly. you'll get work if you're nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially now we're like, it, man, if you're like a touring band and you don't really have a following, you're not doing it for the money. Even if right. you have a fucking following, there's like no money there anymore. Right. Well, a lot of it, you know, is it's, it's all stemmed from insecurity. I honestly yeah. like, you know, because like, you know, me coming from the comedy world, like I, I knew com comedians of the ilk of Dominion Rising. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, and you know, I, I kind of look at it the same way. Of you know, and from a comedian standpoint, of course, it's all <laughs> insecurity related. So, like, I think there's a more um, immediate understanding of, of that personality type. And you know, who's to say that I wasn't affected by that either? So. You know, it's it's a it's a sticky situation. You know, when when you're in these early days and you're you're trying to figure out who you are and what you are, and um, yeah, but it's also fun to poke I, fun. I them also that. want to point out that you knew the name of the band right away. I saw the movie yesterday. Oh, okay, I was like, you got a tattoo on your neck, Dominion Rising. Hey, we play that song <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, I should tell you, I did I did rip the audio of that, and we play it like. When oh we're here, God. yeah, we dude, it's fucking good. That shit. Right, right. I want the whole track. Yeah. Did you record a whole yeah. song or just what we get in the movie? Um, I think yeah. I mean, we did. We definitely did uh, an entire Dominion Rising song. So I'm not sure if that extends anymore. I think we might have cut a little bit out of it. Um, but yeah, like we recorded an entire. Like Jeff and I got together for a weekend and just kind of like he had written the music already, and I just kind of wrote the lyrics and the. I guess you could call it a melody. Um, yeah, along with it, but but yeah, 
I mean, and, and Jeff always describes it. I'm not going to take credit for it, but uh, Jeff always describes it, or maybe Bill, who played drums on the recording, described it as like the music. If you listen to it, the music's actually really good, and this kind of describes those bands. Like if you just listen to the music, it's like okay, this this kind of rips. But then, like when the haircut grabs the microphone, it's just like <laughs> all downhill. Holy shit! Uh, with that painfully obnoxious door knocker. <laughs> oh my god yeah um so matt let's let's talk about um casting uh for the film which is just man every every they just you just everyone has played to their strengths perfectly so let's walk through like um how, yeah. how did you find duh yeah. So, I mean, it, it is, it did feel like winning the lottery um, because I think that that is one of the major strengths of the movie as we just lucked out in, in the casting. So Jeff, who played Max, I know, like now I've known him for like the better part of a decade. We met through my brother um, and we just like, you know, immediately were thick as thieves. And he was in a short of mine, Larry Gun Demon. And we just like always want to work together. We're always trying to find like projects to kind of collaborate on. So he was, he was the first person on, like as I was writing the script i was kind of like i poached him and i was like i want you to be in the movie will you write the music so he wrote all of does music he wrote the music for dominion rising um and then after that the major the the two other major roles and duh um judy and mel which is chet and ruby respectively that was just casting like we did a casting call in in uh in new york city um which is where we were all based out of um and they came in and they read for it and chet both Chet and Rubio is familiar with because I'm also I'm not a comedian myself, but I'm a huge comedy fan. And I know Chet was like really big in in the UCB kind of crowd back when that was kind of flourishing. Um, and I, I I really liked her, but she like nailed the audition. Ruby um, and Chet had the same manager, so when we were talking about getting Chet, he's like, I have this this other uh, you know client. She's really great. Would would you be interested in having her come in? And both of them were like first choices. You know, like they came in and they absolutely like nailed it. Um, I, I didn't have to give them a, a lot of kind of like, I didn't have to help them really shape their, their characters. Um, but really like the, the biggest, like the, the biggest luck I think we had in the movie was David who plays Peckerhead. Um, we had been for a micro budget movie, we had done kind of a casting call for like three days, which is like, I mean, basically like we couldn't do any more and nobody was like, nobody was like nailing the peckerhead uh role and it, it really came to a point where we had done these three days and we were like we have to do another casting day and we didn't have a lot of money and we didn't have a lot of time and you're kind of backs up against the wall and david actually was in florida at the time and he sent in a video and he sent in a video of that the diner scene and i mean dude it was like what you see in the movie is what his audition tape was. And we were like, this is our guy. Um, and from there, David, like, I mean, again, like he just makes the role. Uh, that's like all David. And that was like, I thought we weren't going to make the movie because I mean, I'm telling you guys, it was like one of the most kind of disheartening experiences of like for 12 hours a day, three days in a row, just having, you know, people come in and like nobody was even came close to kind of nailing that, that character. Now, did you, as a director and a writer, when you have a group that needs to come together and really sell like chemistry, 
Do you have any activities to get people used to each other or anything? I'm super curious about that because yeah. I, I really got the feeling that th these people like knew each other, which yeah. Yeah. Hearing you now, I'm like, Oh, I'm an idiot. I just assumed they were like friends or in a real band or something. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's part. Yeah. So there's a few things I did. One of the things that I've been told from like by them that was really helpful is for each of them. I wrote like kind of like a three to five page character biography that kind of talked about their life, you know, before coming into this, the, you know, the first scene of the movie. And it talked about the relationship between each, especially with Doug, the relationship between each other, but even like beyond that, you know, like where, where they, where they are coming from, you know, as they're entering this movie. Um, so that was one thing that I, I know really helped them to kind of understand like how they're going to react and how they're treating each other. Um, the other thing that like we, we just lucked out is there like all, I mean, everyone that was in the movie was incredible, but the four of them um, are incredible people. And like, I'm telling you like a day or two in just became like a crew. And, and what happened is the van that's in the movie is Jeff's van. And like starting on the first day, Jeff just started driving them to and from set. So they would like, they would be traveling in the van together. They'd be eating their meals together. And they really did kind of become like a, like kind of an art imitating life situation where they were kind of traveling together as this kind of ragtag group of four. Um, and they just kind of, they, I mean, it was crazy. Like by the second day, like off camera, they were, they just had this kind of like incredible dynamic. Um, and they just kind of like, you know, locked in. Uh, and that's something where, you know, I mean, there's certain things you can do as a director, but I think that, like one thing that I've been reflecting on when I'm thinking about Peckerhead is just like how lucky we were that those four, you know, it, like took the role um, took their respective roles, but then like, we're just so, I mean, they're just incredible people and they just got along so incredibly well. Dude. How did that feel as a director and writer, like watching them, like pull up in a van together? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible because like, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure Nick probably told you and like, I'm sure you've heard from the, the other people you've interviewed that have been making micro budget films is like, it's just like every day is like, there are just dozens of fires, you know? And it's just like, your back is always up against the wall. And the, the fact that I didn't have to worry about you know, there being kind of a, like an asshole or a dick on set in terms of like one of the main roles and seeing how kind of like, I mean, they really did have it. I think one of the things that like, you know, I've heard in reviews and when I've done interviews is like, you know, they're like, like you said, like, it seems like they've known each other for so long and they have such an affection for each other. And I mean, that extended off camera, like within, you know, like within the first day, they just had such a such kind of an effortless kind of loving dynamic between the four. And that just speaks to like who they are as, as just people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that like, you know, it, you're just like, thank God. Cause if this, if this was going poorly, then you know, it, it, affects, it affects the crew. It affects the, the supporting cast that's coming in on like certain days. Um, so, and, and what happens is when we'd have like other actors come in for a day or a couple of days, they were so welcoming and kind of loving that, you know, in terms of like the cast and, and the talent, uh, the talent end, it was just such a, a really positive environment, which for a director, yeah, I mean, you can't, it's, you're just, you just kind of thank the, you know, your late God or whatever you believe in. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Now you call it a micro budget film. 
And one of the things that uh, a lot of indie movies nowadays or just micro budget share is this kind of like need to be shot in one location to save money. Yet your yeah. film, you're all over the fucking place. So what were, you, <laughs> yeah. were you like doing things for promoters or how were you getting into these? Like, I'm, I'm assuming you were playing at real venues. Yeah, I mean, so we shot kind of where I grew up and where, like, especially the early bands that are, that I had played in, um, where we, where I had played before. So again, like a lot of it was just calling in favors, you know, like, uh, one is like, I, one of my uncles works for Brick Township, which is where we shot like a lot of the stuff. And he, like, I mean, he was amazing. He's kind of like an, the unofficial mayor of this town. So he's be, he would be like, yeah, I know the guy that owns the VFW or like runs the VFW you I'll, I'll give him a ring and we'll see if we can get in for like half a day um but yeah i mean it was it was just like i mean it's not when you're looking back on it it's not smart but i mean one of the things i i didn't want to do is i i don't i haven't been uh officially but i do have like adhd um and when i watch movies there are some movies that do a really great job of like one location um staging all the action just in one space um, but I, I like films that are dynamic where it's just like, you know, and especially you can't do a movie about a band on tour without actually like, we were on an actual tour. I mean, we shot him, we didn't just shoot in New Jersey. We shot in Philadelphia. We shot in Brooklyn we shot all around New Jersey. Um, and even though, I mean, it, like, I'm sure like people have told you, or maybe Nick told you, I mean, company moves are just like one, it just eats into your time, but it's also, it just like, it's a drag. It like, it just wears people out, like just commuting back and forth or commuting all around, you know, the tri-state area. Um, but I really wanted it to one feel authentic. I wanted it to feel like it's an actual tour. Um, and I also just, I, I just like movies that are, that aren't just most movies I, I enjoy, like have kind of a dynamic nature to it in terms of like locations or at least like, like aesthetic spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about it too. And it's like, you know, we have a, we have a green room. We don't need five more of those. And in the horror yeah. community, we get that a lot. We get that. Like, here's a big concept in an apartment and it's rural and we're never leaving this location. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I don't know. I think it really elevates the film, just switching it up. Like, yeah. I, you know, I actually think I talk a lot about like horror fans and how we kind of internalize like where a movie is and we, everybody loves rooting for the underdog, but I really think your film looks so polished that it kind of gets like elevated to a harder, a harsher rating system. Like people are kind of like, ah, he's clearly got a lot of money. We, we could be like a little harder on this one. And um, clearly yeah. you, you just really faked it well, which I mean, congratulations again. Yeah. Thank, I mean, that's one of the crazy things too, is like both that is, People are, you know, always think the movies would cost a lot more. And then, like, even one of the things that Jeff and I joke around about now is, like, some of our friends think, like, we made a killing off of this movie. And I'm like, we are fucking broke. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're, still, we're still, like, dirt poor. We still, like, have not, like, made anything off of this movie. Um, so it's, it's like one of those things that it's cool. Like it, it, I mean, I find it is a compliment that people think it's, it's a more polished movie than it, than it really is. Um, but it, I, I'm telling you, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing of, I, I also, I don't mind being held to like a higher standard in terms of like criticism and stuff like that. 
Um, but it's like, I, I think people have the wrong, like, this is definitely, I mean, we made it for like under a hundred thousand dollars, which I consider to be a micro budget. Wow. Um, but it really was just calling in like every single favor that I, that I've like, you know, accrued over like a 10 year period. Um, yeah. Now let, let's keep on that favor train. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the effects, which were incredible, uh, for this. I mean, I mean, I'm still floored that you told me it's a hundred thousand dollars and the, the the effects in this are, are insane. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, like, that's just winning the lottery as far as, like, you know, crew and that uh, our effects guy, Jared Baylog, and he had a, a, an assistant, Sean, they were incredible. Like, what this was like, probably David and Jared were two of the people that were kind of the saving grace, you know, in pre-production because when we set out to make the movie, we had reached out to a bunch of effects houses and everyone priced us out, you know, like, cause I, I kind of sent the script and I sent a, a detailed kind of breakdown of each, each effect sequence and what we were looking to do. And I mean, everyone priced this out. And I think one of the last effects houses we had, we had uh, talked to the guy was like, I love the script. You can't afford me, but I I've had this guy kind of freelance with us and kind of come on to bigger projects. He's really great. He's trying to kind of strike it on his own. You should reach out to him and see if, if he'll do it. And we reached it. And that was Jared. And we reached out to Jared and I mean, he's amazing because it's like one of those things that, you know, your heart kind of sinks is when, you know, it, in order to afford an effects guy, you know, you have to cut certain things out. Right. Yeah. And Jared was game. Like, even if he hadn't done it before, he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll find a way to make it work. Like you don't have to cut anything out of the script. And to, to his, to his word, um, you know, we didn't have to cut anything because of, you know, f for financial reasons or because it was, you know, it, it was above his pay grade. Um, and he would, he's a super patient dude, like just rolled with the, the inevitable punches that would come with, a you know, a micro budget set. Um, and obviously like, like you guys said, I'm just in awe of like the work he, he does. Yeah, that, that's incredible because again, you know, when, when you're making this script, when you're making this film, like you have to have kind of in the back, at least for me, because I, I'm a person uh, just riddled with anxiety. So like yeah. there were certain things that like if, if I was in your shoes of like, man, if the effects aren't good in this, like this is this is all going to shit. Like, oh, totally. Like, what do I have? Dude, and the, the crazy thing about that is, you know, since since this is such a low budget film. So, the, yeah, I mean, that that alone. Right. Like you're just kind of like every day you're like, God, like one of the major things we're depending on is for these practical effects to really kind of like, you know, pop. And even when you're doing those sequences, you know, like, for example, like in the metalhead scene, you know, you we can only afford one head you know, with a, with a line attached to it. Yeah. So you only have one take to knock it out of the park. So that both that's, you know, Jared doing a fantastic job and nailing it. It's David hitting his marks, you know, as Peckerhead and, and lifting it at the right time. And it's your camera crew being on point, having the focus, you know, completely locked in, having the move, like the movement has to like sync up with David's movements. Like all of, there are like so many different elements that need to be locked like in complete step with one another. Um, and, you know, especially in those moments, you know, you have like, there's a dozen of us kind of like crowded around about to do it. And it, like, it, again, like your anxiety is through the fucking roof because if that, if he doesn't, if the head doesn't rip off correctly, if the blood doesn't 
squirt the way it is. If the cameras, if the camera doesn't have the, the focus pulled at the right moment or, you know, all of this stuff, um, that scene doesn't work and we don't have another head, you know, and, and we don't, we can't do another take. And I mean, it's just one of those things that you're like, my God, there were so many moments where this could have gone south and, and gone so fucking poorly. And I mean, we just, I mean, it was the crew just absolutely, you know, through blood, sweat and tears, um, just, you know, brought it. it it's, yeah, I'm still, I still can't get over that, that to have such a, a really kind of like incredibly talented and, and just being in every second completely in tune. Now, it's, you talked about how you found your special effects artist, and it seems like you put a lot of effort into it. But was there any point at which you were considering maybe just cutting it down and being like, well, maybe we could use the budget, the money somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah, I mean, like you're always and that's kind of like I wrote when I was writing the script, I was writing it according to I knew we I knew at most we'd be able to cobble together like seventy five, eighty thousand dollars. I think we the film, we brought it in at around like eighty three. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, like even in the script, like my my initial idea had more had a lot more kind of like carnage. And basically, I, I when I was writing it, I knew we wouldn't have a lot of money. Um, so I basically thought like, okay, I know I want kind of a real crazy opening sequence. Um, cause I love kind of that. I love, that's one of the things I love about horror is like just having a batshit kind of like crazy opening. And then I knew like, basically I would, maybe there's like three other sequences we could afford of kind of like effects heavy kind of like carnage. Um, so that's kind of what we, what we wrote to, I, I mean, like that's one of the things of, And, but it's the thing of when you're doing like my initial, the whole, like, you know, what inspired me to kind of make the movie was I wanted it to do a crazy midnight movie or kind of like a really fun communal midnight movie. And you don't want to skimp on that stuff because that's what what annoys the shit out of me is like when, you know, something looks good in, in the trailer and basically like all of the, all of the effects or all of the carnage is in the trailer and you feel kind of like, you know, shortchanged. So I wanted to, you know, given the budget we had, kind of like bring as much as I could to, to the, you know, the, the gross kind of like, just like, just buckets of blood. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, We have a regular uh, guest on here, Bill Spataro, who's been doing special effects for like 20 years. And he's currently <laughs> working with like, K, um, what, KNB on a Walking Dead show. And oh, cool. talking to him, he, it's almost like he has a part-time career of having uh, filmmakers reach out to him where he'll just, he'll write them a budget based on what they have. And then they don't, you know, that's the last he ever hears from them. And there's even times where he's been like, you know, under contract and he'll tell me like, you know, they brought me on, they wanted me to do head of this department thing. And then, you know, by the time the the film's ready to shoot, I don't have anything to do. They've cut the whole fucking department. And I just, I, you know, I want to thank you. Like, I really think at a certain point, when you're trying to make like a like splatter gore kind of comedy movie, there has to be some fucking gore. And I think part of the reason I'm so dis like uh, the spell has been broken with me for a lot of horror comedy for that exact reason. You're welcome. There's what, what? <laughs> I'm taking credit for some of that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like where you get into a movie and you're like, Oh, this is going to be fun. And then it's like, where there, every kill was off camera. 
like yeah. yeah like there has to be like there's got to be a like if we don't have this this one head getting ripped off we're not making the movie there has to be like a pull cord at some point right and i'm, I'm just you know i again uh thank you for keeping it in there because for people like me i don't know about randy i think he might have been in here as long as there's just punks like farting around <laughs> i needed some gore though yeah I mean, but that's kind of was the the North Star, like while I was writing it and making the movie is, you know, just thinking I, like, what what would I want? What would I want to see? Um, like, I've, I've been in, in a theater or at home watching like on my couch. And I've gone through the, exactly what you described, where it's just like, man, this like this is a total like bait and switch. Yeah. Like this is not what what I signed up. This is this is not what I wanted to watch. Um, you gotta. I mean, if you're trying to make a movie like this, you have to bring it. And if you don't, like, then then I understand why why those films get dragged on. Now, okay, I got I got a couple questions. You don't have to go super in detail. I'm just. Um, yeah. It's we don't talk to a lot of writer directors who work with. Um, music in a band setting and there's a question i always have and when you're casting people how important was it um that they could actually play the instrument i i mean i was more concerned with uh if they had uh you know comedic chops and they they were good at kind of uh you know just being on like an in an ensemble piece um, both Chet, I mean, like I, I definitely with Chet and Ruby, I paid for, or the film paid for like a month worth of lessons oh. for each of them. Um, because I did, I didn't want it to be like, uh, I'm sure we've all seen those movies where it's, it's so clear that the band is not playing their instruments or singing. Um, so I, like with Jeff, it was effortless because he's been playing for like, you know, 20 years. Um, but with Chet and Ruby, they had not had, uh, any, any, at least any experience with their respective instruments. So we paid for lessons cause I wanted them to at least be able to kind of like have the, the, you know, like just at least look like, you know, they weren't just kind of standing <laughs> up there and just kind of, no, you, you know, I'm a terrible, I'm not a journalist. I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. That's why we're doing this thing. I should have, I should have uh, clarified. I just meant like prior going to shoot, like when you were writing the script, were you like, I need to get real musicians? Clearly you didn't. Um, another question I have, how now when you're writing the script, I, I always imagined if I was going to write a movie with stand up, this is where I mostly think about it. When Clark shows me films about comedy or um, with music, I would always write around the actual art because I always felt like, well, if this, this movie about standup has terrible standup in it, it doesn't matter how well the script is written. It's not going to work because if the climax yeah. of the movie is, Hey, he got good, but he never gets good Yeah. now. So at any point where you like, should I write music for this or are we just going to work around it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm like a huge fan of Jeff's music. Um, so I, I trusted that he would write some, like if he was game, which he was to, to write the music, I, I was not concerned that, uh, that the music would be like, he'd be able to write a catchy tune. Um, so that's just like implicitly trusting a friend who I'm also like a huge fan of, of his, of his stuff. Um, but it is scary. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's always it, like, especially if I didn't have any connections to that world or to, to, you know, musicians or songwriters that I actually like respected and would listen to it kind of if I weren't friends with them. Yeah. Um, frightening. Yeah. I mean, it, it, 
if the whole movie's predicated on a on a band touring and the band like legitimately sucks, um, and that's not part of the story, yeah, it's a t- it would be it would sink the ship. So now, did you include Jeff in like the script writing process at all, or were you just kind of like telling him like the vibe of the band? Yeah, I mean it, it, the latter. So I I it, like he wasn't involved in the script writing, but like I would have I would give him kind of notes like. For this song, it's at this point in the movie, and I'm going for this type of vibe, you know. And and really, that was the only direction I gave Jeff. Um, I told him I wanted uh, to be like the only thing I told Jeff about the band as a whole is I was like the music should be joy, like joyous and nihilistic, um, which I think he did a really good job at, like you know, both musically <laughs> and lyrically. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, like all like in terms of like direction musically, it was just like you know a few keywords or sentences, and he took it and ran joyous and nihilistic i like that although it does instantly remind me of like morrissey or reminds me of this show actually (laughs) (laughs) touche yeah you got that um all right before we wrap up here matt tell us about uh larry gone demon so we're, we're expanding the uh the universe of duh and uncle peckerhead yeah, so so Larry Gun Demon is a, a script um, that that I've I've a feature that I've written that's in the the Duh universe and it's Duh just in a in a different misadventure. Um, but we're actually hoping to maybe make Uncle Peckerhead two, and I've got like another script called Bloody Axe Wounds that I'm hoping to get off the ground very soon. Um, that's the project that I was actually working on before Peckerhead uh, came around. So yeah, I mean, I'm hope I would love to bring Dub back together. Uh, I would love to bring Uncle Pecker, the whole Uncle Pecker, eh, Uncle Peckerhead crew back together, um, just because it was such a joy to work with them. And for Peckerhead too, I actually like have like a script ready to go. Um, it's just you know, it's finding finding that money, finding that cash. Now I got one more kind of like sure. biggie. Now Uncle Peckerhead, our uh, titular character, now. From the cover of the movie, he he comes off like a zombie. And you know what I fucking hate? <laughs> All these goddamn zombie movies. But when we get into the movie, he's got a much more complicated mythology. Like, he's yeah. kind of hard to place. And I'm curious what made you go in like a kind of like not werewolf, not vampire kind of zombie direction. Like, what was your inspiration there? It, I mean, it, like, really, it, it sounds kind of foofy, but my inspiration, um, you know, were like old Universal monster movies because I, I wanted to make a movie. I, I like, I wanted to make uh, the monster somebody that you cared for um, and that you kind of could sympathize with, even though they would do kind of these really heinous, you know, commit these heinous acts. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I had, a, I actually had a lot more mythology to it and the script became really complicated and, and my now wife gave me like one of the best pieces of advice is just have like, you know, establish a few rules. Um, but you know, you don't have to kind of, you don't have to like really pack it in there cause you're just going to get people really kind of starting to parse through it and question a lot of stuff. And if it doesn't all add up, you know, you're just going to kind of confuse them and it's going to take them out of the story. Um, but yeah, I mean like the real influence was. I also didn't, I definitely didn't see it as a zombie. People say it's a demon. I don't really see it as that. I always saw it as just like a monster or like a ghoul or something like that. Um, And it kind of took from a few of the, you know, a a few, you know, familiar lores that we've heard, you know, like instead of the full moon, you know, it's, you know, 13 minutes at midnight. Um, But yeah, I always just saw him as like a monster. It's like a part-time monster. That's cool. You know, when, when I was watching it, I, 
I swore it was like a a metaphor for drug abuse or something. Oh yeah, totally, one thousand yeah. percent. And I was like, yeah. it's it's super dark too because I've known people like that where you're like, is yeah. this the most like kind, hardworking motherfucker? And I love hanging out with them. But when we go back and watch a movie and we start drinking, uh, this motherfucker turns into a nightmare. And totally. I, yeah. And I, I don't know. It's normally when you when you work something that heavy in, it kind of pulls the movie like tonally in a different direction. Yeah. I never got that from your film, though. Like it kind of managed to be like this, like underbelly that's there if you want to think about it. But otherwise, you can kind of like live in the world. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's really unique. I I love the way that you did it. Yeah, I mean, and that's that. That's the type of stuff that I I love on is when you know it can be an allegory or however however you want to frame it, but it it's not like stuff down your throat. Yeah, um, if you're sitting kind of meditating on it. Yeah, you see it, and I mean, I totally agree. I mean that like the, that was definitely all in there because I mean with those with those folks, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, until it's not. And then when it's not, it's just like, it's a fucking drag. And it's like, people can be both beautiful and inclusive and just a joy to be around, but, and then have, you know, this thing where they become incredibly destructive and, you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, that's that those type of characters I'm fascinated by. Well, you know, we, we run a film fest and uh, I'm I'm not going to get super into that. It's all found footage and stuff, but we, we end up showing a lot of movies in a theater and, this is the kind of movie that I would love to show because you can bring like everybody, you say, Oh, tell me your mom to come out and we can all hang out and have a good time. And then every, you know, after those screenings, people pile out and one person will come up to you and be like, Hey, uh, did you get like a, like, like was somebody on heroin or is this? And you're like, Oh, Hey, let's, let's walk over here. We could like talk, like yeah. real talk about this movie. And it's totally there, but dude, I don't know. There's another dimension where this movie could open with a, drug abuse is a serious thing. And if you know somebody under an addiction, here's a line and it would just change the whole mood of the movie. Yeah. And it would just be a drag and this, it would not be a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, um, I wanted to call that out and say, thank you for not shoving it down your throat because you know what I noticed like it's there and it's still impactful. I I don't know. There's no reason your movie should be this good, but man, (laughs) it deserves that hundred percent on rotten tomatoes. Oh man, thank you so much. All right, Randy, before we uh before we cut it loose, you want to bring it home? Yeah, uh I don't know. No questions, but yeah, just uh really appreciate the film. I always um which you don't see very often, um genuine depictions of like punk rock and what it's like to be on tour and how kind of like absurd it is and how like great it is at times and how it's like sad at times. Um and then yeah, you know, the uh like Russell mentioned I'm not the biggest horror person on this podcast but uh i enjoyed all that um stuff as well and yeah had a lot of fun with it and it's uh i own the blu-ray and throw it on every once in a while so thanks randy and and thank you so much i mean that's incredibly kind and thank you also for turning turning these guys on to the movie i appreciate it yeah yeah it really stood out i mean you just that's more than randy talks to most guests in a year (laughs) <laughs> and like, and when it's a movie titled Uncle Peckerhead, like, what was your first reaction when Randy brought this well, to the table? Because most of the titles that Randy wants to tell us are in Italian or some shit. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, when he brings Uncle Peckerhead to the table, it raises an eyebrow. You, you pivot from Unche Andalou into like <laughs> Uncle yeah. Peckerhead. Yeah, it's Nola Strata. 
Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Fuck you, Randy. Yeah, but see, Ra- yeah, Randy would be more uh, T.O. Peckerhead or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a different language. But, um, but Matt, man, this was so much fun. Um, plug anything you'd like to, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I just I want to thank you guys for for having me on. It's it really is a blast to to talk to people about the movie, and and it really means a lot that people are are spreading the word because uh, it's all word of mouth. Um, so I would just say, you know, check out subtletrex.com or unclepeckerhead.com will take you there. That's kind of like our production hub. We have a web store where we're about to launch a new, like new t-shirts and stuff probably this coming week. But that's also where you can read up on projects. Like I'm hoping to get a couple off the ground, uh, by fall or at least one off the ground by fall. So you can read about that stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, just keep supporting micro budget movies or independent films, I should say. All right. We're going to buy Randy a shirt. And we're going to get yeah. a boy in here from the East Bay and we're going to do a photo shoot. We're going to send you some promo stuff. All right, Matt, we got to use it. We got to get Randy tied into the dough world. Let's go.